Well, not much has changed in the world since April of last year. <laughs> Nothing at all. Uh, I think the, it, I know. I uh, every time it comes up, I always say, "Yeah, it looks like it was April thirtieth, twenty nineteen." Every time Skype comes up on a podcast, it gets real meta real quick, and people complain. And I know people use other things, and there's you know who knows. Maybe I'll stop. Maybe I'll, I'll move on to something better. Uh, Ben and I use something called Zencaster for uh, yep. uh, for dithering, which is really weird, but works really well, even when the things that are bad that could happen. Have you ever used Zencaster? Yeah, the web version, you mean? Yeah, so it's this yes. web thing. You have to run it in Chrome or a Chrome browser. It doesn't work on Safari. Um and you start thinking weird things like, well, wait a minute, if it's in a browser, couldn't you like accidentally close a tab and then you lose it? And it, I did that <laughs> a couple days ago. And it's all pretty, it defends against it in pretty smart ways. Like I, I closed Chrome before everything was uploaded and I just reopened it and it was there and it like uses local storage to save a wave file and it was still there. Yeah. But it's terrifying. Because while that worked, like, oh, my God, I shouldn't have closed that. Reopen, there it is. On the other hand, like, Ben and I will go from, like, uh, it always happens from Thursday to Sunday. Like, the biggest gap in our weekly schedule is uh, the th Thursday night we record for Friday morning, and then Sunday night we record for Monday morning. And when mm -hmm. I come back on Sunday night after two nights off, it's all forgotten me. I'm not, you know, it, it might have my login, but it doesn't know anything. And it's, I got to reload Chrome a couple times and it, it, it's just not the way desktop apps work at all. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's not, so I have recorded a number of podcasts using Zencaster because it seems to be for whatever reason, the preferred method by a lot of folks. Uh, I have lost an entire episode, which is obviously, you know, the worst, beyond frustrating and the worst, yeah, the worst case feeling in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, using it. Uh, I'm very surprised that they don't have a native app. I, you think like of all things to your, all your points, this is something that probably should be a native app. So I'm surprised. I mean, obviously it's, uh, you know, more involved and you have to do it for, then you'd have to do it for Mac for windows. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty surprised that they don't do that. Yeah. It's all web. And maybe it's on their list. You know, I, I should be the last one to complain about people not getting to stuff lower on their list. And maybe if they do an iOS app, then they can make it their Mac app by bringing it over with Catalyst. And, yep. Yep. It, it, you know, it might be the perfect use of Catalyst, you know, like in theory, if Zencaster is doing it, if they make an iPhone app, which you'd think they'd want to do because it seems to me like, you know, people might want to use the computer that's with them everywhere and the one that, yep. you know, there's like a billion <laughs> right. of them out there. Right. Um, and it's not really a, at all. It's not like a professional editing tool, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, I think that that's the sort of use case for Catalyst where it could be really good for the Mac. Like, oh, well, we weren't going to do a Mac native app, but, you know, we have this uh, iPhone one, here it is, and it's better than running it in your browser. Um, that really could be the, the case. But anyway, um, back to Skype. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, and you know, I was an investor in uh, Anchor, the the podcasting startup yes. that sold to Spotify, and they made a, you know, a native iOS and then iPad app. And the iPad app was actually great, and it seems like the perfect sort of tool for recording a podcast, right? Because right. to your point, 
it's sort of a computer you're more likely to have with you wherever you are. And it's certainly obviously way more than powerful enough to do this type of thing. Um, but yeah, you're probably right. They they might be holding off and, and, uh, going to do an iOS app and then, then port it over yeah. if, when Catalyst stuff is, is working. Yeah, and a little bit more stable. Who knows? Um, yeah. But my thing with Skype is, and again, it is, I you know, you, you can set your clock by it three, four times a year. At some point, I'm going to talk about it on my show. But the weirdest thing to me about Skype is that, and I use it literally three to four times a month, every month, because this is what I record my show on. And every once in a while, including today, I open it up. And it looks entirely different, and I don't know where anything. <laughs> right, is. they I, add stories. They add, I, you know, whatever the the thing de, de jour is to the uh, social experience, when, and it's ridiculous. I opened it up today, and I haven't changed it. But the window looks like it's like a little iPhone sized window, and but you're there, and I, uh, you know it's working, so I'm going to let it go. But <laughs> I, I have never used an app in all of my life that changes so completely. Uh, every couple months and just completely discombobulates me, my awareness of where everything in the app is and how to do stuff. And, uh, but you know, it sounds good. <laughs> it does sound good. And what is, I mean, but what is Microsoft doing with it? They have, obviously they have, they're putting all their effort or a lot of their effort into the teams product, which is, you know, a huge part of that is, is this exact use case, right? It's uh, video conferencing and and obviously audio is part of that, and, but they still have Skype and Parallel. So I mean, at some point, do they fold them together, and then you'll have to move over to Microsoft Teams or something to to be able to do this? You would think so. I mean, and, and I know I we we hashed over before you know we started talking like what topics to talk about, and I don't really want to go into the whole antitrust <laughs> thing with yeah. the house, but and in broad terms, like without getting into the details of the report, it, there is a sort of sense of like without getting into the details, I feel like the higher level stuff is more interesting. And I kind of feel like if you read the, the prelude to their report, they're like, these companies have gotten really big and have made a lot of uh, acquisitions. Uh, something, something must be wrong, <laughs> right? That's sort of their conclusion. <laughs> right. And they, they're not so good at telling you exactly how this is wrong for the country or for consumers or for, you know, and they have specific cases of competitors, you know, who have complaints, but it, it there is a sort of sense like, okay, Microsoft is so big that they own Skype, which they paid a fortune for, and which has changed hands multiple times. Like eBay, <laughs> eBay paid a fortune right. for it. Right. Uh, it is then spun it out. Andreessen was a big investor, right. and then they, yeah, right. It, it's like too big and too good to disappear. But also, nobody seems to know what to do with it, right? Yeah, it still has brand mindshare, right? Like, if you say Skype, most of the world, I think, would know what it is still. Right. Um, but, right, it's not the go, it's no longer the go to for what it was. And the technology is sort of, you know, it was very novel at the time, but now, you know, it's been sort of, um, I don't want to say eclipsed, but it's, it's definitely sort of been sidetracked. Uh, sidelined by uh, by everything else. It's I mean, it's you know, it's old at this point. Yeah, and well, and let's face it. Like, what is uh, the app of 2020? It's got to be Zoom. I mean, TikTok, I guess, is on the list. Like, if you're going to do, you know, all right. Well, I don't even want to say that we have to pick one over the other. Let's just say we'll right. we'll, we'll have an a. The, it just being nominated is an honor, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but like yeah. It, TikTok. 
to me is isn't specific to the nature of 2020 whereas zoom specifically is right like the the nature of being quarantined and having everything be remote whether yes. it's a school or meetings or just social stuff right zoom cocktail hours like and right. zoom is the thing that is sort of taken and Skype is on the list of well, wait, why wasn't Skype the the thing that we're doing? Skype was there so for a, years in advance. It's a good point. It's something I think about a lot on the you know in my 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 current world of investing. Uh, it's basically it boils down to this is you know just sort of the the highest level thesis I have of of things being in the right place at the right time, right? Because no ideas are really new. Everyone knows that, and things come up and again and again and and new. Uh, you know, it's just new takes on old ideas and. At some point, you know, something's in the right place at the right time for it to hit. And, and it, you know, Skype was obviously, you know, massively popular. As you noted, it uh, sold for many billions of dollars, first to eBay, then to Microsoft later. So it's not like it wasn't a success. But you could argue, had it existed, you know, now, 10 years later or whatnot, uh, it would have been a much bigger success. And that's what we're seeing with Zoom. And I think Zoom is, you're right, that it's obviously benefiting from all the work from home and the COVID stuff. Um, I think that was part of a, a trend that was, you know, happening, all the remote work. Every, everyone knows that that was like, you know, slowly but surely sort of coming into focus. But this, I mean, the whole situation in the past six months now has accelerated it to the point and Zoom was sitting right there in the perfect place to yeah. take advantage of it. Yeah. And that sort of, and I, you know, I've been a critic of, of, of several aspects of Zoom's for lack of a better term, sloppiness in terms of mm -hmm. the technical aspects of like, you know, the Mac app and how it was installed and what it left behind and the liberties its installer took. Um, but on the other hand, I definitely appreciate the fact that it started with a very opinionated, this should be easier. Yes. And you shouldn't have to complain. And what's easy? Okay. What if we just made everybody who's invited gets a URL? And when you click the URL, it either pops you right in because you're ready to go, or you're literally about one or two more clicks from being there. Uh, right. And they actually made it harder, right? Because of some of the yeah. security stuff yeah. you're alluding to. It's much harder than it used to be. So right. they sort of benefited from being small enough when they implemented that solution to not draw the eyes of both, you know, people who would take advantage of that nefariously, but also, you know, of, of the press and all, and all that kind of stuff to know, uh, that, you know, there could be some downsides to that ease of use. Uh, and then once they, once that was sort of, uh, discovered, you know, they were able to move, uh, to fix it and it hasn't sort of sunk the company in a way that, you know, ruined the value proposition. Yeah. One way I, I try to think about, and I feel like part of it is a long-term cultural issue and i think it's driven by the internet and i think part of it is exacerbated by short tempers in 2020 which are natural right it is just mm -hmm. natural that everybody has just had enough and our patience has worn thin across the board mm -hmm. um but people to me are a lot less forgiving of mistakes across the board. And I'm really trying to be con It's one of those things I, you know, I, I'm just trying to keep a consciousness about it and, and me, I, you know, I don't want to be the one who doesn't forgive mistakes yep. and mistakes are inevitable. I'm everybody makes mistakes. I always say that the way to, to not make the way to be right all the time is to 
be smart enough and curious enough to be right most of the time, but also be aware that you're going to be wrong some of the time and be constantly open-minded about what you might be wrong about and mm-hmm. figure it out and then say, oh, I was wrong about that. Here's the right. And correct yourself. And don't be embarrassed to say I was wrong. And definitely don't be embarrassed to say, I don't know. Right? The smartest people, I always say this, the smartest people I know are the people who are the most willing to say, I don't know. I think that's right. I think, you know, that's uh, obviously top of mind in our political climate right, right now. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I view it as, uh, as, I think that you're right that, that uh, there seems to be more of a focus on, on things that are, I don't know, calling out things that are mistakes or, or whatnot. Um, I think part of that is, you know, in, in our world, in the tech world, it's just, there's, it's now fully mainstream, right? It, it obviously has been for a while, but it's now, it's so integrated in everyone's lives, especially in work from home, as we were just talking about. We rely on these things so much that any little mistake, like, you know, Slack went down yesterday or the day before, and it's like, you know, the internet is up in arms about it. And why? Because everyone's using it to, to do their business. And when it goes, when something like that goes down, it's not just that it's like a nice to have, even like Twitter, right? It's not just like, um, Twitter's become an information flow for people. Like, how do we know what the, what, if Twitter goes down and the president is trying to tweet that he's about to attack a, a country, right. like that has real now ramifications. Uh, <laughs> imagine if, so, imagine if for the next four weeks, Twitter had the uptime that it had circa, let's say 2009. Oh my God. <laughs> Remember the fail whale? Uh, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, yes, of course. I, I, you know, I was I was as guilty as anyone as writing about that every single time it went down uh, back in the day. I don't know what they would like. What would they do? Would the government have to step in to take over control of Twitter to make sure? <laughs> how would how would we know what the president has to say? I don't know. They have to nationalize Twitter. I don't like know. That. <laughs> I don't know. But my my take on mistakes and Zoom and trying to be forgiving is that if you assume that everybody is always going to make mistakes and, and nothing's ever going to be perfect, a lot of times you have to decide which way you're going to approach the perfect ideal. And for this sort of remote video collaboration, Zoom approached it from the side of being as easy to use as possible. And so their mistakes were things like, uh, we'll just have these URLs with a string that's randomized and that's how you get in. And if you know that you're in and it made zoom bombing possible because attackers mm-hmm. could just start guessing pos- you know, the, in the, the, you know, it, within the pattern of what a zoom URL might be, just keep trying them all until you find one and then jump in and there you are. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it was a mistake. They fixed it. I mean, one thing they have is they, you know, they had, they're like, oh, that was bad. We'll fix it, you know, and there you go. They're they're out. And and it's, I think the popularity of Zoom is that they're approaching it from that side. And it's so easy to get in. And I, you know, we all, we comp- nobody's got a good solution to any of this. And, but it's no surprise that it's the best one or the most popular one. It's the one that we've sort of turned into a verb. I mean, it went from a product to a verb so fast. I, I don't know that yes. anything that's, uh, that's gone that fast to, to verbified. Uh, I think that's right. Um, I also am curious of your thoughts. I, I haven't thought about this in a while, but this was something I think I wrote about it. I don't know, maybe six months ago or so, probably around the time that quarantine started because to your point, uh, 
you know, we were all getting this this type of um, solution we needed all of a sudden, um, even if we didn't realize it at first. And it's it's sort of fascinating to me that Apple has had FaceTime for a, many years now, and it's a great product. Everyone would say it's it's a it's really fantastic, easy to use, great quality. Um, but they didn't. They were never able to connect it in a way for this type of use case, right? right. Like, you know, you connect to your family, sure, and I'm sure the use case, the usage is up uh, immensely because of that. I use it to talk to to my family on a regular basis, but there's not like uh, the use case of work, certainly, and and you know that's not Apple's focus, so it's hard to ding them for that. But I think it does seem like, especially in the era of services and everything that's going on with Apple, there's a real opportunity there to sort of own this space because to your point they are you know famous for the ease of use and i think that they could have probably done it even better than than zoom has done it if they made like a i don't want to say an enterprise grade version of it necessarily but certainly one for the living room right like if you imagine what they could have done with using either apple tv or the home pod and your or or a new product um and just made it like the perfect device sort of like what facebook randomly oddly did with the portal which uh i haven't used myself i know a lot of people who have it and actually actually love it um i I made a lot of fun of it when it first came out because it came out in the middle of probably the worst possible time for a product like that to come out when facebook was in the middle of the cambridge analytica stuff you know like uh, okay so facebook is going to launch a a connected camera um you know for a from a company that you don't necessarily trust with your data that sounds like the worst idea in the world like at least postpone this thing six months but now it's in a perfect position right and why doesn't apple have a product like that yeah, I wonder. And and with the group chat feature that they added in particular, I forget who I probably multiple people observe this, but it, it it almost feels in hindsight after people actually tried using it that it it's really felt built for demoing like the mm-hmm. uh, the best case scenario for FaceTime group chat was the on-stage demo when Apple showed it. And it looks cool, but in practice, there's a lot of aspects of it that just aren't that it, – it just isn't cut out for it. And that's even if you just accept the baseline, it only works on Apple products, right? Like right, if you right. even just accept the fact that that's who it's for and you have to have one and therefore you know it can't be used for school or something like that where they can't say you have to have a, a device from this one company um, – but even there, it just isn't that great. And I, you know, it's, it, it is the case that, uh, you know, all of these remote briefings and stuff that Apple's had over the last six, you know, in the whole COVID era, they do over WebEx. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is amazing. Cisco product, right. Right? like an old school Cisco product. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't blame them, but it's just because, you know, there, there's features in the WebEx that just aren't possible in FaceTime. You know, there's, and part of it, you know, they're not great and interface wise, but there's ways for like people who at Apple who are in PR who aren't on the call to be, who aren't talking on the call, but want to be, you know, sort of like if it was the real world, they'd be in the room, but they're not participating. You know, yeah. you can be in the yeah. room and not participate, and in a way that FaceTime doesn't really make possible, other than having their face there, you know, and adding, you know, you right. can't be in that state. There's other features too, but it just sticks out to me, though, that they're using that instead of their own product when their own product is in this sphere. I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, it- 
I think you're right. I think there's a utilitarian aspect to sort of the, the certainly WebEx, but also to Zoom, right? Where, um, Apple just doesn't fill that use case well right now. And, and as you're noting, like the, the multi-person thing is more, it's more like cute, right? It's more of a cute UI that they're trying to do and less utilitarian. So it'd be sort of frustrating, I imagine, to use it for a lot of these use cases. Yeah. But it does remind me of, um, it's like when the Apple stores before they were using the iPhone to actually do uh, payments, right? Like, so they had, you know, they had a mechanism to do it with Square, right. uh, certainly, but, um, you know, a, a number of different ways, uh, PayPal had a, had a version at one point. Um, but they were still using an old school POS system, right? Uh, up until, I think, what, last year or something like that? They use them now and they have this sort of, I don't even know who makes it. I'm sure you've seen it though, you know, the one where you can do Apple Pay. It sort of like snaps off the back of an iPhone, I think. And then, yeah, and then you can yeah, do it. it's weird. It's like related to the iPhone, but isn't just an iPhone, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, but it's sort of like that, how they, you know, they have sort of solutions they could use and they eventually get there. Right. But, uh, but yeah, not, a, not right out of the gate. <laughs> I remember, and I I don't do this to be a jerk. I just, and I in hindsight, as soon as I did it, I I was like, I should not have done this. This was a mistake because it's just not me. But it must have been like five years ago or six years ago when the first Apple Watch came out, and it had Apple Pay right from the beginning, and I had a review unit before they, you know, were in customer hands, and I wanted to yeah. try. I didn't know where to try Apple Pay, so I went to the Apple Store to buy something. And I would choose, and I forget what I bought. Some, you know, I don't know. Something I needed, like a cable or something that I could use. But you know, it's like thirty bucks. How do you want to pay? I want to pay Apple Pay. And she held the thing out, and I took out my watch, and they didn't even have watches for sale yet. And she was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh no, please, let's keep this on the download." She's like, "How do you have that?" And I'm like, "Oh no, I just wanted to see how it works." <laughs> And I yeah, was like, awesome. I, I really wanted to just drop the product and just run out of the store and just be like, <laughs> oh, no, this is a terrible mistake. Yeah, it's like the, the remember the you'll remember back in the day when uh, Steve Jobs would use the iPhone like at a baseball game. Yeah, or something, yeah, you know, like, just like <laughs> yeah, he's he like, yeah, 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 it's no big deal, whatever. Yeah. You know, is, <laughs> right? He was like in his kid's soccer game or whatever, right. and, and just standing <laughs> by the fence, like you know. All of a sudden, you know, it's like, uh, you know, he's like a real person too. He's just a dad at a soccer game. And except <laughs> right. he's got an iPhone and they're not out yet. Right. He has this thing that's about to change the world in, in many ways. Right. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. Predicting every single parent at a soccer game for, for the next <laughs> dec decades of civilization. Uh, all right. Let me take a break here and thank our first sponsor. Oh, it's a new sponsor. Really excited. Uh, Nest Payroll. How many of you are trying to balance working from home and caring for kids or maybe an aging parent? Have you hired a regular babysitter, a nanny, or a caregiver to help you? If you're paying over $2,200 a year, which is really just 43 bucks a week, it is actually the law that you have to pay above the board. Many people think nannies, caregivers, or that learning supervisor that you just hired are independent contractors. They are actually your employee, even if they only work part-time or for multiple families, and the IRS is really clear that you are required to withhold and pay employer taxes. Oh, what a pain. That sounds complicated and hard to do, and that is where Nest Payroll comes in. They believe that you deserve an easy way to do this all legally and above the board, and so they created Nest Payroll. It's a native iOS app for your iPhone, works on your iPad too, it takes care of all of the work while making payday a cinch. Five minutes of setup. 
You get walk through three easy steps to get you going. You add your employees, take seconds to pay them each week. Professional pay stubs are automatically emailed to your employee, employees, and all the tax work is completed behind the scenes so you don't do anything. That includes setting up your accounts with the state, federal reporting, filing each quarter, W-2s at the end of the year, and a signature-ready Schedule H that goes with your taxes each April. All of it taken care of. It's as easy as paying them below the board, but paying them above the board. It benefits everybody. Your employees receive the safety net of unemployment insurance, Social Security, Medicare. It's good for them, and it is good for you. Just peace of mind alone. It's uh, You might think it's more expensive. You're like, ah, well, what about the cost? It's really only about 10% more to pay officially and report everything than it is to pay below the board. 10%, that is the peace of mind alone is worth it. Uh, it's just 34 bucks a month to use Nest Payroll, and it is the easiest way to pay your household employees legally so you're above the board. Uh, just take out your phone, pay them in seconds with confidence, and know that you're doing the right thing. Go to Nest payroll.com. That's the URL, nestpayroll.com. Sign up, and if you use promo code TALKSHOW30, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W-3-0, you get your first 30 days free. That can only be redeemed on the Nest Payroll website. So go to nestpayroll.com and sign up with the code TALKSHOW30. Hey, before we get into uh, upcoming stuff, you had a good piece on Apple Watch 6. Uh, which I didn't even notice before I invited you on the show, but uh, I thought you had a good take on it. Um, in in particular, that you switched from the graphite steel to the blue aluminum. Yep. Which I still haven't seen in person because <laughs> it's you know where do you go to see watches right. that you don't have? Right. right. But the photos of which I really like. And your photos too, just, you know, just you shooting photos of the watch in your hand. It's like, man, this blue aluminum looks uh, really cool. I think it does look great. Um, and that's so I ordered, I think I, because I read your review, I think I have the same one, the same one that you did. The I had the graphite stainless steel. Yeah. That's the one you have. Right? Yeah, that's the one Apple sent me. Um, and so I ordered that one at first, mainly on, honestly, because that was the one that would sort of get here the fastest, um, <laughs> of all the, the shipping times. Uh, but I was interested in that one too, you know, sort of a new, a new, a new take on the sort of the color that yeah. they've done for a long time. But, um, but then I was a little bit, yeah, uh, curious about the, the blue one, um, because I just sort of thought I would like that, that color. And so I was able to get one that shipped, I think, two weeks or so later. And I was glad that I did because, uh, to your point, like I do think it looks uh, great. I mean, I'm wearing it right now. It looks like – it's like, um, as I put in there, it's sort of a – it's not blue-blue. It's sort of darker cobalt is how I sort of described it. And then like a lighter navy. It's like in between those. But it's it looks really good. Um, and I do hope that they do, you know, the rumor of of an iPhone in this color, sort of replacing the the hunter green or whatever they called it um, for the for the last one. I hope that they do one in this color because I think it's it's great. Um, 
it's a little weird having a, a colorful one, right? Because obviously some of the bands it will it will yeah. clash with. Um, but uh, I think blue is is a nice sort of elegant solution to it. Red would pee a little bit in your face, um, uh, but I, I like the blue one a lot. Yeah, red is probably not for me and you. We're not really in your face, but I could see why it might be popular. And that's another color I'm really interested to see because it's so different from the watches they've made to date. And I again, I don't like to do what I'm about to do, except that I actually do like it, <laughs> but which is speculate on uh, executives who are no longer with the company and how things are different, <laughs> which is to me some maybe some of the Johnny Ive influence. And I, yeah. I couldn't help but feel all along from the get go that the Johnny Ive part of the Johnny Ive influence on the Apple watch was too informed and unrestrained by his affinity and deep appreciation for the traditional watch industry. Johnny Ive is right, a right. longstanding app or, or, or regular watch person. Luxury watches right. has, you know, like we're an investor in uh Hodenki, which, you know, is one of the, you know, the, the preeminent sort of uh, yeah. high end watch, um, uh, you know, destinations right. and he's done, you know, he's done interviews with yeah. them and, and just goes on and on about how much he loves his luxury uh, watches. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like you, you're basically suggesting that uh, there was uh, a reason that they did the, the gold one, the addition right. ones, uh, you know, was obviously driven by him. And now the fact that he's no longer there, is that why we're now seeing, you know, a range of colors? Yeah. Uh, and you know, and you're being, <laughs> you- <laughs> You're being too humble. Hodinkee is the premier uh, site for stuff like that. And I love it. And I, I've known Ben Clymer, uh, founder of Hodinkee, for a while. It's a great site. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. I swear to God, I'm adding it right now. But the, the Hodinkee profile of Johnny Ive was terrific. Really, really terrific. Um, but I think, feel like... It, it, the gold thing is ridiculous in hindsight. It was as ridiculous when it happened, and it doesn't get any less ridiculous in hindsight that Apple was selling $20,000 solid gold watches, <laughs> the internals of which were technology that lasted a year, you know, and it was so technologically that the, you know, what we now call in hindsight the Series Zero. That right. they didn't when they when they came out with the series two, they couldn't keep selling. You know, this is Apple's pattern, right? We saw it again. You know, we see it now where they're still selling the series three watches for one hundred ninety nine dollars. Is is right. the 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 last ten years of Apple as they've gotten bigger, the way that they've gotten more democratic and lowered their price points across the board is by selling older products at lower prices. Yeah. Uh, and it's really worked well for them. And the times where they've tried to introduce new products at a lower price, like the iPhone 5C, it hasn't worked so well 
And I almost feel like maybe they gave up on it too soon. I still think the iPhone 5C is one of the most best-looking iPhones Apple ever made. I agree. I got one. Even though it wasn't my primary phone, um, I got one just to see what it would look like. This is back when I was still, you know, reviewing tech products, you know, for a living and stuff. And it was a beautiful device. I think I still have it uh, in a drawer somewhere, a blue one. It was it was great looking. Yeah, it really was. But it didn't do it didn't set the world on fire marketing wise. And I feel like. Or sales wise. And I feel like that the lesson Apple internalized from that was that what works is taking former top of the line products and then a year, two years, three years later selling them at lower price points. So that even if you're buying the $199 Series 3 watch today, you're getting an Apple watch that just three years ago was the best Apple watch you could buy. Um, Uh, um, two, two things in there that, that you bring up, which I think is interesting. Um, one is that I think the the uh, iPhone 5C was actually it's almost like it was the perfect you, you said you know marketing when you meant sales wise but right. it, like it was the perfect marketing product right it looked great on those posters and it's almost like you know did they it's almost like it, it existed to be like the perfect marketing product for Apple but not a great actual product for Apple um, because it, it, you know the colors just popped on on all the posters that you see around the city and it ended up being great like for them to use in those promotional images, but then yeah, just didn't resonate for whatever reason with, with the audience. Um, but then uh, y- you bring up, you know, the idea of what that was, which was trying to re to create a new product at a lower price point and how that hasn't worked for Apple in the past, which is interesting now because that's sort of exactly what they're doing with the iPhone or sorry, the I, the Apple watch uh, SE, which right. I don't really understand. Um, I mean, I conceptually understand what they're doing. It's essentially an Apple watch series five with a few features removed, um, including, I think the always on screen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a weird choice in my mind because it's in between, as you noted, the, the Series 3, which they're still selling. So it's not the cheapest one. It's obviously not the, the, the best one or the, the highest end one. Um, but it's not just the Series 5 sold at a lower price. It's a new product. And wh- why do you think they did it like that? Um, I I forget what chip it has. I think it actually has... It has the S5. I looked at it recently, so I know that. It has the one that's the, yeah. the same as what the, the Series 5 had. Huh. So it, 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 I guess my my take on the SE nomenclature is, as they start to use it more, is it is a way for them to make a product and put it out and keep it unchanged in the lineup for years to come. And then yeah, so name, you don't have to do it every year. Right. Yeah. And the name doesn't sound like it's getting older. So the Series 3 watch isn't a bad product, but it is the older form factor. And when you look at them side by side, even with the screen off, you can you can see, oh yeah, it's not, you know, that you know, when they changed the actual form factors for the Series 4, it it definitely got sleeker and better looking just as a piece of jewelry on your wrist. Right. And, but the Series 3 is still a nice product. But the biggest problem with it is it sounds so old compared to the Series 6. Right. Three generations old. Right. Whereas they come out now with the SE. And two years from now, that we'll be talking about the iPhone, the Apple Watch Series 8. If they still have, 
the I the series the SE in the lineup, and now it's only one hundred and seventy nine dollars or something. Two years from now, it yeah. doesn't sound so old, and that's so. I think that's what it is. I feel like the SE isn't really there so much for this year. I know there's you know maybe they're selling a zillion of them because the other angle is okay. We say, and you know, it's the oldest sales tactic in the world or one of them where you get people in the door with start the whole lineup starts at 199 right but then you get in and as soon as you you know you talk to somebody and you're like eh, well for 80 bucks this isn't it, I really would like the SE so I'm not saying yeah. they're not going to sell it this year but I kind of feel like it's it's there to be exactly what it is unchanged for at least 2 or 3 years I I think that that's a really smart take. I think that that's probably right. It's sort of like resetting um, the baseline expectation, and it's going to be this weird overhang for this year because uh, of the things that we just talked about. But going forward, it sort of makes sense strategy-wise. That also answers a question which I had when it was unveiled, and I wasn't the only one, but um, it almost felt like it would have made more sense to call the SE the Apple Watch and then call the Series 6 the Apple Watch Pro and, you know, start sort of going down that path. But if, as you're suggesting, that they're going to keep the SE sort of as, as they do with the iPhone, that it's uh, like a an update every two years, not every one year, that makes a lot more sense. Because then it would just be weird to only update the i the Apple Watch Pro line and not the Apple Watch every year. Right? Yeah, and I think the reason they can't go Pro with the watch for just the new one is then you run into – we're right back to talking about the difference between the aluminum models and the steel models. Yeah, and yeah. You know, at least with the phones, steel versus aluminum is the distinction or part of the distinction between pro and not pro. And yeah, it's a good point. And I was, that was actually one, you know, to bring it back to the the blue. Uh, the blue aluminum model. I would, that was one hesitation, right? The, get it going down, downgrading right. as it were to aluminum. Because frankly, the last aluminum one I had was I think two generations ago, and that's one where I had all sorts of problems with it. The screen kept popping out yeah, on yeah. its own, and I had this whole thing back and forth with Apple about it because, like, you know, they suggested that I did something to it, and I really didn't do anything to it. The screen just popped out one day, and um, eventually, you know, I got them to replace it after a lot of back and forth. But so I was hesitant to do it because obviously. The screens are also better. Um, uh, they're more, you know, they ha- one's called like INX and the other's the crystal sapphire. sapphire is yeah, that right? Yeah. 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 So the screens are better on the, the non-aluminum ones as well. And so I was hesitant to do it. It seems like it's it's fine um, now, but, uh, but that was another hesitation for sure about downgrading, quote unquote, to aluminum. Though it is much lighter. You can tell um, by picking them up how much lighter the aluminum is versus certainly the stainless steel. And the one I had for the five was the titanium, which is a little bit lighter than the stainless steel. Um, not surprising given the, the, the material. Um, but yeah, it's nice to have the, the sort of lightweight one. And to go back to the, <laughs> the Johnny Ive point about like, you know, I think they did a good job that it does look pretty elegant. Um, would it, will it, do they eventually go down the path of having, yeah, like pink ones and like really garish looking colors? I don't know. Um, I mean, you could make an argument that there's a market for that, right? With swatch and everything else that, you know, that has long done these sort of like, um, uh, you know, just design yeah. forward, uh, bright colored, um, looking pieces. But that also is, is what you were talking about with, with Ive in particular. He obviously set up the Apple Watch and they, and they released it thinking it would be a fashion device. And instead it ended up being a fitness device. And that was a fundamental mistake that they made in those early days. And it's, I think it's an interesting question to know if it ever, 
could potentially get back to being a fashion device uh, that's on par? I think part of it is certainly a fashion device right now, but can it ever be on par with the fitness stuff that they're doing and the health stuff that they're doing? Um, I don't know. Yeah. And so my take, I, I think, and I think if I had, and I would love to have him, Johnny, if you're listening to the show, please <laughs> pick up the phone. Come on down. Give me a call. <laughs> I would love to talk to Johnny Ive again. Um, and I think he would vehemently disagree and I, in an honest way. And I think he would. It, it not not disseminating, but I think he would disagree with what I'm about to say. But I I feel like they sort of penalized the aluminum models in the early years, mm-hmm. fashion wise, where the only colors were regular aluminum and dark gray aluminum, mm-hmm. and they don't look bad, you know. And they're clearly the best selling models because they're they're lower priced and they have all the functionality and and. To be true, you know, to be clear, all of the functionality has always been available in those models. It's just the, the aluminum versus steel and the ceramic finishes, you know, in some of the years. Um, and now titanium in some of the edition models, but the functionality is always the same. The sensors are the same. And even with the ion glass, ion X glass, whatever they call it in the sapphire, it, the display itself is the same. Like the OLED mm-hmm. display has the same brightness. It's just that the actual glass that you can tap your fingernail on is glass versus sapphire and glass can be scratched like your phone can. Um, and the sapphire is rem- remarkably scratch proof. Um, yep. But the thing about scratches too, and, and the whole real watch industry has moved to Sapphire. I mean, it's really hard to find a watch for more than $500 that doesn't have a Sapphire crystal. Um, and it's great. And, and there's optic advantages to it. And some watch brands make their Sapphire very, very flat, like a Rolex, a modern Rolex is perfectly flat. Um, because Rolex sort of doesn't like to show off stuff um you know like the back of a rolex never shows the movement which is what a lot of fancy watches do now is they have actually and they use sapphire for that too which is funny because it it's on your wrist when you're wearing it like you're never going to scratch it <laughs> right. right but they right. still use sapphire because you're spending you know i don't know 10 15 20,000 whatever it is but they show off they put a crystal on the back of the watch so you can see the internals and watch mm-hmm. people really love that um I, I, Rolex doesn't play that game, but other brands will use, you know, shape the sapphire into a bubble and it has these neat optical effects. It looks very, very pretty. It can. Uh, and having it be scratch proof is always better than getting a scratch. Nobody likes to get a scratch on anything they own. I know that. And I know, you know, this is why people, you know, people are so of, opposed and, and averse to scratching that they'll, they'll buy their phone, put it in a case. And never take it out of the case, knowing that or put those plastic shields over right, it. Right, put the plastic shields over it, and it's not because they can't afford to fix the screen. It's just that they're so averse to the idea of needing to someday. But then, therefore, they never actually use and appreciate the phone in its unscratched state without all this protective gear. <laughs> yep. But yep. I'm not even saying they're making a mistake because I feel like that. They're so, you know, they would be so heartbroken and upset by scratching or a minor crack on the screen or something that that they'd rather have it this way. So the Sapphire is great for that regard. But the truth is that the way you see scratches on a watch crystal is the best way to see them is when you 
you angle it towards a light source to ref, you know to get like a what's that called refraction you know mm-hmm. like you have to try to see the scratches whereas when you're actually trying to read your watch whether it's a digital apple watch with an oled screen or a mechanical watch the last thing you want to do is have like a, a reflecting light source in it you turn your wrist in a way that you don't see the scratches you know, mm-hmm. it's, and I've looked at my son's watch. My son has a, I think we got him the series four when the series four came out. So it's two years old. So a 16 year old, you know, it was not reckless. He's very careful with this stuff, but you know, it's when I look at his Apple watch, it is definitely scratched up. The ion glass definitely gets scratches, but when you actually go to read it, you don't see any of the scratches. Hmm. It, it's, it's not something that people should really be overly worried about in terms of, Ooh, should I? Is the main reason you should upgrade and spend three hundred more dollars on a steel Apple Watch to get the sapphire? No, right, right, right. But anyway, I just think that the blue and the red is a sign that Apple is trying their doing the best they can to make the aluminum models as cool and and just beautiful objects as they can in a way that I don't think they tried in the early years. Yeah, I think that's right. I think they did a good job yeah. with it. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I would anticipate these things will sell like crazy as as a result of that. Yeah. And the blue in particular, it's just, it, it I can't wait to see it in person. It's the first, it, I, I would never think I'd want a blue watch, but I see the pictures of it and I'm like, well, if I ever did want a blue watch, though, it would be this kind of blue. Um. One other thing about this, uh, which you'll appreciate, because I know you wrote one of the pieces um, about the the whole trying on the loop um, thing, oh, and, and God. yours is actually useful because you did the lining up of the of the holes right, right, right. With, with what the size should be, which I found immensely useful in trying to think about which size I should get because so I, you know, it, obviously Apple made a mistake in, in not allowing people to to return them when. Um, you know, when, without when returning the whole probably, watch, right? Without returning the whole watch, when they probably weren't going to pick the right size, and it's to the point where I actually did go to an Apple store uh, this week. Um, I actually went to go just to take back. I was I was driving around anyway, and and so I I put uh, you know my my life in my own hands to uh, to go into a store, and um, I, I wanted to return um, the previous model. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I could do that in the store. And so I just ran in there to go do it. But while I was in there, I decided, well, since I'm here, I'm going to try on one of the loops. Because I didn't get the loop um, be- for the very reasons you know that, that we're talking about. I was terrified that I just would pick the wrong size, um, even with their printout and everything. And it turns out, so I went to the Apple Store and I used their uh, – in the Apple Store, they have this um, – this, you know, more professional uh, version of the printout thing, including like you, it, you know, you, you unwrap it uh, yourself and it's, it's, you know, nicely made as you might expect. But when I tried to use it to see what size I would be and then went to go try on the size that they suggested, it was wrong. I swear <laughs> it was wrong. It said that I should be an eight and I should be a seven. When I actually tried on the thing, right. the eight was too loose. And I, and I care about that because uh, with the heart monitor, uh, or sorry, the blood oxygen monitor, it has to be tight. It's always it doesn't work. It's always complaining that it's too loose. Yes, yeah. yes. And so, <laughs> you know, obviously, it's just Apple rolled out this feature with the with the loop, you know, and these things, uh, you know, together in parallel, like need to work in perfection in order to for that feature to work. But I swear, the in the in house tool that they use gives you the wrong size. Yeah, I I still remember. 
and you know, I've got a teenager, so I'm going through it. Um, yeah, I remember as a kid and now as a parent, what growth spurts are like and how annoying it is to not know what shoe size you take. And I know what it's like to have shoes that are too tight. That's miserable, right? And, I, yes. and I also know what it's like <laughs> to have the attention span and have zero interest in shoe shopping, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, but if you ever actually look at like the thing they have at a shoe store, and it, you know the the thing you put your foot on, the, yeah, that scale, the thing, little right? scale right. or like ruler, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah, the ruler, right? The right. difference between shoe sizes, like between a ten and an eleven, it's really small. And most people right. shop by half sizes, which are really, really small. But you know, like I've had shoes, I've bought like new pairs of shoes and had them like I feel like this is a half size too big or small, and it it makes you miserable. Uh, the loop bands are exactly like that. Like you can measure it, and and again, if if you've ever been to the shoe store. And you put your foot on the thing, and the guy says, "You are an 11. And then they, you try on the eleven. You're like, "Feels tight." And then the the salesperson will be like, "You know what? You're right. That does feel tight. Here, let me go get an eleven right, and right. a half." Uh, and you're like, "Yeah, that's much better." And uh, it's exactly like that with the loop bands. I, I feel like you can measure it as perfectly as you can with the tool. Do it exactly the right way, and you still might not get the right size because the difference between one, you know, a seven and a six or a seven and an eight, it's like five millimeters. It's, it's really small. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm surprised that Apple, obviously it's a good looking product, both the, the loop and the braided loop. They look great. It's, it's nice to have one seamless loop, continuous loop. Um, but it seems like such a headache from a skew perspective and everything. Right. right? And, and obviously that's, that's proven to be the case in these early days, right. but even still like, Going in and having to have all these people try on multiple different versions of it, it's um, I'm, I'm surprised. I I don't I've I obsess over the things like this. This is why I've spent more pixels on Daring Fireball writing about the loop size because I just find it so fascinating because it's so it, it, it it's so minor but yet still so interesting. I've heard about the tool they have at the stores. I keep meaning to go because I want to get one. A couple people who work at the stores have said, you should come in and just get one of these things because they're kind of cool. Um, But I would love to, the fly on the wall conversations at Apple, some of the ones I'm most interested in are the ones everybody's interested in. Like I would love to be a fly on the wall for the annual let's negotiate how much Google plays pays for default search placement in Safari. Right. Right. Everybody right. knows that must be really fascinating because it's, you know, tens of billions of dollars. Um, I would love to have been in the meeting where the Apple watch band design team pitches Jeff Williams and or Tim cook on, we would like to sell these stretchy bands and <laughs> we're going to have eight or nine different sizes of them for both widths. So it's 12 <laughs> right. total. Right, right. Yeah. And if they don't fit right, you're really not going to be happy. <laughs> and, and as you've noted in the past, they have one of the most elegant solutions for this, uh, you know, with the current, right. um, the non loop model of the sport band. Right. That just tucks under. It's such a great solution, uh, and you know it remains obviously in the in the lineup. Right. But like, 
you know, they're they're sort of calling out that like we think we can do this better, and then this is what we get. I can see why the designers wanted to do it because it is clever, and when it fits perfectly, yeah. it does feel incredibly elegant. It is. It just feels amazing. It's just a rubber watch band, and 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 again, that it that's. It, that sort of thing is often very popular in the real watch world too. Like uh, these NATO straps, you know, the, these nylon bands that are sort of from the military world uh, yep, right. uh, are super popular. And, and with certain sport watches, people will wear them with like $30,000 vintage Rolexes. Uh, sometimes you have to, there's military versions of the Rolex where the spring bars, you know, the, you know what a spring bar is, right? Everybody knows that's yep. the thing in the yep. watch that you have to, push in and out to change the band on certain older military Rolex the spring bars aren't springy at all. They're welded in place for the military purpose of, well, we don't want, we want this to be something that can't possibly come out because these watches were made to, I mean, it sounds ridiculous that like in the sixties, the British military was buying Rolexes for the troops, but that's, you know, Rolexes only cost like 200 bucks then. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of like how to make a fortune as a time traveler, going back in time and buying a bunch of Rolexes <laughs> in 1968 and burying them somewhere safe and then coming back to the present you is, is probably better than buying stock in Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, <laughs> uh, but those spring bars are welded in place, so you can't take them out to swap bands. So you need one of these, you know, n- they're meant to be used with the NATO bands that thread through the the slots that are there with the spring bar. Um, So it, there are people in the watch world who love super simple bands, but these are amazing. They're so elegant, but I, I just would love to have been there. I could see why the designers wanted them, but to pitch it on what's considered an operations first company. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You want how many Uh, SKUs? We can fit all of the SKUs on the table for all Apple products, unless we include the Apple Watch uh, loops, then we cannot. In which case, yeah. we need a warehouse. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. Uh, uh, let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. It is our good friends at Squarespace. Oh, man, do I love Squarespace. Squarespace is your all-in-one. Build your own, create your own, edit your own, modify your own website service, tool, everything you need to do is all built in. Everything from registering a domain, picking a template to start with, tweaking the template, starting with your own design and implementing it right there, making your own custom website right there in Squarespace. Uh, You can do it all. And they've got great analytics and anything you want to do that lets you focus on the thing you're making that the website's about, as opposed to spending all of your time on the website, Squarespace is the tool for you so that you can work on your thing and not worry about the website that's about the thing. Uh, I love it. It is a great product. I, I have so many friends who go to Squarespace all the time for the stuff they build. My friend Adam, Lisa Gore has a new podcast out. Uh, what they do for their website, guess what? Squarespace. Um, it is all terrific. Where do you go to find out more? Go to squarespace.com slash talk show. Uh, when you sign up using that URL, you get 10% off your first purchase and you get 30 days free just by going there. 30 day free trial. So go to squarespace.com slash talk show. Find out more. One last thing before we get to news. You had a great piece. I've been meaning to write about this. Uh, iOS 14 clips. 
app clips. Yeah, app clips, right. And there's this game that has an app clip. And I saw this. I still haven't linked to it from Daring Fireball, but I was like, this is amazing. Why wasn't this the demo at WWDC? I totally agree. It's called Phoenix 2. Um, and I think I it came on my radar. I think uh, Mac Rumors linked to it first, maybe uh, Touch Arcade, right. right? one of their affiliates. Um, and... So yeah, so when they did the demo of app clips, right? They they basically highlighted how good it would be for things like walking into a, a neighborhood restaurant where you don't have the app necessarily, but they have an app, and you, but you don't necessarily want to download the entire app to you to have to use in the restaurant. And it seems like that's a great use case. It's obvious, um, makes all the sense in the world. I feel like they totally underplayed something like this. So basically, there's this game, Phoenix Two. Um, it is a sort of space shooter game, um, and you can go on your iPhone to the site that they have for uh, just the website and, and it will pop up a little thing at the top uh, and it, it's just, you click it and it says play and then you, you click on that and then it pops up on, a, on an iOS device. It pops up an overlay um, that's sort of like, um, you know, it's, it's what the app clip one looks like. It's, it's basically from the bottom and it, and it shows like a little bit, uh, about the game. Uh, and then you click play again and then you wait about 10 to 15 seconds in the few times that I've done it. And then you're in the app playing. Um, cause it, it's basically not downloading the entire game. It's downloading, I think the first level of it and it downloads it as a, it is like an app from what I can tell, but it's not the full app, right? It's, right. and they do it, you know, in a clever way where it has like this like a uh, scissor cut, you know, outline around it. So you know that it's like not the full app, um, but it's amazing how seamless it is. And the app runs just like a regular native app. I mean, presumably again, it is all native code and it's just like the first level of it. I was just blown away by how seamless it is. And, and you know, when I wrote about this and, and others have, you know, linked to it and the, and touch arcade stuff, it's like, everyone seems to have the same reaction, which is like, wow, this is, this is absolutely the way that you should do game demos. And how is everyone not using this? Yeah. And it's sort of, you know, and it would even work. I don't, I'm not even sure what Phoenix two is doing as their sales model, but you know, in, in terms of that whole, Try before you buy. Do you need an in-app right. purchase, or do you want to just sell it for three bucks and you have to pay the three bucks before you play? The app clip idea gets around that, where yes. the clip is free. It's a quicker download because you only have to put the first level in, and then you could make the app three bucks, five bucks, whatever the app I costs. I think that's actually what they're doing right. too. I, I'm not a hundred percent. I did play to the end of the demo. And then when you get to the end, it just has a, a screen that shows like, you know, I think it says like, yeah, two ninety nine to then download the entire thing. It's possible it's free. And then, you know, they just are, are going to do, um, you know, monetize via in-app, but I think that it is paid and then you, you just get to it. So it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It is like, I mean, I don't know why, again, everyone is, is doing this. And I actually talked to the developers, um, of the game about it a little bit. Um, and you know, they, they obviously say that it's, it's maybe not as easy as it, as it makes it yeah. seem like just when you're playing it. And I'm sure that's true. Um, but I'm surprised that Apple just hasn't sort of pushed forward, uh, this notion. Maybe they're holding it back till, you know, they feel like app clips have been out in the wild for a little bit and to test it out a little bit more. But I have to believe that this is sort of the future of, uh, demos, um, and yeah, free trials. Yeah. And it was the first app clip I was really excited to try because. I'm not really going to restaurants. I'm, I haven't <laughs> right. parked my car anywhere except at my house in seven months. Uh, well, you know, other than occasional errands, you know, I haven't used a parking garage. Um, 
And all of a sudden here, well, I would like to try this game. It's like a Galaga sort of yeah, 1942. Exactly. 1942 was huge when I was in high school. Um, it's just sort of a ship that goes up the screen and shoots everything it sees. Uh, uh, you know, it's not really my type of game for the iPhone, but I enjoyed playing. I enjoyed the heck out of playing the demo. <laughs> yeah, I'm the exact same. Yeah. Uh, the thing I ran into then after this was that I, because it was my first excuse to use an app clip, I suddenly realized, well, wait, how do you get rid of an app clip? What if I'm <laughs> like done? And I honestly feel like because we didn't get to try third party app clips over the summer, or at least I didn't, you know, because they're not in the app store. You'd have to be like on a test flight or something. Yep. Um, it's very strange the way it interacts. They, the clips interact with the new app library concept. Right. Right. So like, cause they go into recently downloaded. Yeah. Right? Recently, whatever recent right. apps and you can't delete it though. It's, I noticed that too. I, I, it seems like they're do, they're taking the mentality exactly like that. You shouldn't be manually quitting apps, right? right? Like they they view it that let the system take care of that. Don't worry about it. So it basically goes away after a set period of time, which is not clear. But I'm with you. I tried to do that, and you can't do any. You can't do anything with it. I don't even think you can drag the app clip onto your screen. If I'm if I'm right. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, it's like it has to stay in the library. Um. And only be launched like from the library or from the series, recently the used search apps. at the top, um, yeah, spotlight yeah. search, yeah. whatever they call it. Um, yep. Well, and then it turns out you can delete it in settings. There's like somewhere to go. I don't. Oh, I actually, I'm, I was about to tell you how to go, but I, the phone in my pocket right now is still running iOS 13, uh, so I can't. <laughs> I can't. But you go into settings, something, and then you like, or just at the bottom of settings. You know how like all of your apps are listed in settings at the bottom. If you just scroll through the main, if you go all the way to the bottom, there's a listing of clips and then you can go into the clip there and there's Mm. a button that says delete this clip and you can delete an app clip, but you have to go into settings to do it. But regular apps, you can only delete from the home screen. So it's this weird thing where I've always wanted to, I've always wished that there was a way to just give me an alphabetical list of all my apps because I would just like to, I'm in the mood to clean up, right? Like I'm in a tidying up mode. I would like right. to just see an alphabetical list of all my apps and just go swipe, 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 never use it. Uh, that caviar that was acquired by DoorDash, don't need it. Uh, delete it, delete it. Uh, and you can't, you always have to go on the home screen and go into jiggle mode. And it's like one at a time, hit the little X and then confirm it. And it takes time. And clips are the opposite, where you can't just delete the <laughs> app icon. You have to go into settings. It's a very strange. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, I have to. I need to complain about it and see if. And and even now, to you, to what you were sort of asking for, um, app library. When you c- click on the app library search thing, it does list them alphabetically, which is weird too, because it obviously right. like it gives prominence to anything that's named with an A. Um, uh, but you can't do anything beyond launch them there. You can't delete them or anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk about TV shows. Um, yes. Is Apple TV plus the new HBO? That's your proposed section. Yeah, that's title. my prompt for you. Uh, so obviously this is not a new thought, but I do think that it's coming more into focus, um, in particular with a few things that are happening right now. So, uh, first and foremost, I think you've seen online. I, I believe you've watched it as well. I have, uh, everyone's talking about Ted Lasso. I um, love Ted Lasso. 
It's a great show. And it's a great show because partially because I think people thought it wouldn't be a great show because it's the premise of it is ridiculous. Of course, it's based on a commercial that right. ran, right? Like the idea that an American football coach can go uh, and take over an English soccer club, uh, an English football club. Um, and, you know, it seems like, yeah, it's a cute ad. Uh, it's a cute gimmick for an idea. You know, maybe it's even a, you know, cutesy Adam Sandler 90-minute movie. But can it be a, a like a TV show, like a full se- a full season? And it turns out not only can it, it's it's definitely the best show that's been on Apple TV Plus so far. And I I, I, I find it incredible, the, the response to it just online. I, you won't find a person who doesn't seem to love that show. And I, obviously part of it is the world in which we live. And this is like such a refreshing, you know, break from – you know, both high drama, um, you know, a lot of the best shows on TV right now are all like, you know, hour long, very serious, uh, very well done um, dramas and are violent and are, you know, something else that just reminds you of the of the crazy world in which we live. And this is just so refreshing. It's a half an hour. Uh, it's funny. It's cute. It's heartfelt. Uh, and I have to believe, obviously, that's that's why it's resonating with people so much. But it's also just really well done. It's really well done. Moltz and I talked about it a couple episodes ago. Uh when it was earlier in the run. And I feel this feels like something I would have been late to. And somehow I got early on and it was something about like, it was almost because I wanted it to be a different show. Like I I was like in the mood for a stupid, dumb guy comedy. And I thought, you know, and I was familiar with the, 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 and that's sort of how the commercials were years ago when the Ted Lasso character was created, it was played as the silly gag that it is. Um, you know, something like a 30 rock absurd joke, joke, joke type thing. And I was a big fan of 30 rock. I love that show. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, and I thought, you know, it, it's funny. I didn't think of Adam Sandler, but that would have been, and again, I'm, I'm not an Adam Sandler hater and uh, you know, I can get into a dumb Adam Sandler movie if it's, if, you know, if it's one of the better ones. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that was sort of what I was hoping it wasn't, you know, because uh, I was like, how are you going to, because again, yeah, like you said, you could do 90 minutes of that fish out of water, but then how, right. how do you do 10 weeks of a it? Full season. Yeah. Um, and it's just not it at all. And it's just a really w- amazing show. I'm telling you, anybody out there, I know you've heard me talk about it on the show. I'm telling I don't know anybody who doesn't like it. I, I, and it's just, it's uncanny how many people of different tastes and whose taste in shows is different. And it, Closest I can come. And again, it's not like Cheers, but it's like in the way that everybody liked Cheers, you know? I, yeah, I, I can see that analogy. I, I, It reminds me, it's not like this either, but because the plot, the high-level plot is similar to Major League. Yeah, Remember, yeah. I, I know it well because I grew up in Cleveland and right. it's about the Indians. But, um, you know, it's like a... a, a uh, an owner, uh, you know, in, in both cases, a female, uh, you know, spouse of a former owner is taking over a team to basically try to to run it into the ground to be able to to sell it or to move it elsewhere. And so that's like the high level premise of both. And so that ends up being like, uh, you know, the kickoff point. And Ted Lasso is definitely more, um, again, heartfelt than Major League is, but Major League is also a great movie um, for some for some of the same reasons, right? Um, and I think you're right that the cheers, like the camaraderie aspect of it, uh, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, I also just think it's, it's the perfect place at the perfect time for this type of thing. Right. And so they just nailed it, uh, in that regard. And I think that that speaks to, 
you know, what my, my setup for the question about is, is Apple TV plus the new HBO. I don't know if this is necessarily a show you would have seen on HBO, though. I don't think it's totally different either, right? Like they, uh, HBO has long had the sort of 30 minute, more fun style shows. I don't even know if 30 minutes, maybe what, it, cause yeah. there's no commercial thing. What about you know, Curb, your, whatever, Curb Your Enthusiasm? Curb Your Enthusiasm is a good yeah. example. Um, uh, Entourage back in the yeah, day. Yeah. Um, the Baller Show. I don't know how long that actually is, but yeah. um, all of those things are sort of in in a vein that you could sort of you know feel like uh, is of that. But that mixed with um, uh, sort of the morning show, which I don't know your view on, but I I went into that as the first marquee show, and I was super skeptical at first. Certainly for the first few episodes, it sort of felt a little bit too like an apple, too much like an Apple commercial, like they were going out of their way, you know, to use yeah. iPhones and as the alarm clock and things like that. But then at, by the end of the, the the run of the first season, I thought it was actually really good, and I was surprised um, by how good it got. And then I ju- we just actually last night started watching another one. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Um, it's called Tehran. I have not started um, that one yet. It's good. It's really good. It's sort of like a born identity mm. um, type show um, that's talk about the uh, that has a lot of nuance. Uh, it seems like at least in these first few episodes about the Israeli Iranian situation conflict um, and and the two sides there. It's really well done. Um, and so all of these are leading me to wonder like. I know that this is sort of the premise that that maybe Apple kicked off with that they could you know create these very high value, um, high production value shows um, in the vein of HBO back in the day. And meanwhile, it feels like HBO has totally seeded that ground, um, partially obviously because of what AT and T, their parent company, has asked them to do. And you know when they came in and, and sort of said we need to scale this in order to compete with Netflix, they've seeded. I think what is uh, you know, what has been the, the historical stronghold of HBO. And I think Apple can now fill that slot oddly with Apple TV plus. And we were all skeptical that can Apple actually do content? And I think they're, do, they're proving to do a good job, which is surprising to me. It's an interesting notion. The other one, the other show that I really liked, our whole family did, and that's, it's getting, <laughs> it's rarer these days with a 16 year old to find a show that all three of us like. But the other one that we really liked was Servant. Which is M Night Shyamalan's? Um, ah, yeah, I never watched that. That was good. It is. It's creepy. Um, I, again, I think because it's so creepy, it's not for everyone. Like you've got to be into a sort of horror mindset. Um, it happens to shoot in our, not just in Philadelphia, but in our neighborhood, which is all right because he's a big Philadelphia guy, right? Yeah, like all the and movies are there. Yeah, uh, it's really, really close to where we live, where they shoot a lot of the exteriors, um, like such that we're we're in the neighborhood where we get the um, the protest posters but, from yeah, people door, who are like, right, and, and right. again, it's <laughs> it's because it's a nice neighborhood. It's people who are upset about parking, and it's like, oh my uh-huh. god, just. Shut up. There's a cool TV show <laughs> shooting in the neighborhood. Park your car somewhere else. Um, but we liked it. And it's well done. I, I don't think it has the universal appeal of Ted Lasso, but it's, it is good. It's a good show. And uh, I, I see it. And I feel like it's – the similarity here is – and I, I think Apple is going for this, which is we'll go for quality over quantity. Right, because right. Netflix owns quantity, and you're never going to out Netflix. You're never going to compete with that, right? Yeah. Right, because they're already there. What? What else? How could you out compete 
Netflix. Like if you That's right. Like HBO's try AT&T is trying to get HBO to do that with HBO Max. Um but the reality is that they just they're as a public company, they have a different business model than what Netflix has come up with. Uh, and the flywheel's already going, and you're not going to be able to out to just dump money. Even Apple, which has obviously more money than anyone to be able to spend on that, they don't have the right model to be the business model right. to be able to do that type of thing. And so, they do seemingly have the right model though to recreate an HBO. And with HBO again, seeding, I view it as seeding the ground. Like when you think about HBO. So obviously, I still have it as you know. I have HBO Max now, um, and. There are still good shows on it. So Succession is one of them yeah. for sure. It just won a bunch of Emmys uh, and rightfully so, I think. But I think a lot of the shows and from what I've heard sort of in, uh, you know, through the grapevine is that a lot of the stuff that's still great on there was from the last regime, right? It was already greenlit. Yeah. It's already in production. I think maybe Watchmen was maybe the last one that's um, sort of the, you know, the single season run. And once that's over now, we're getting into these newer shows, which are just not resonating as well. I haven't watched the, um, uh, the Lovecraft one. No, we um, haven't either. And uh, so I, I think that that's pretty well received, but it's not getting the type of zeitgeist stuff that some of the other, you know, HBO shows have gotten in the past. And maybe it'll get there. But uh, some of the other ones, there's like a Jude Law one that that doesn't seem to be going much of anywhere. The Pope, um, the Pope show or whatever. There was the Pope one. I think there's another one oh. though now. Um, and from what I've heard again, like uh, that there would be an overhang of time where there were these shows that were greenlit by the old regime that were in production and or old shows that are going into new seasons like succession, uh, which will continue for a few years, but then we're going to hit this wall and there's just like not going to be, you know, it's TBD how, how well they'll do, you know, going forward at, at that point. And, you know, HBO's answer to that is to, to just pump out more and more type of content and try to get to the Netflix, maybe not fully Netflix scale because they won't be able to, but still get closer to that. Um, and I'm pretty skeptical of that. I do like, I was super skeptical once the, uh, you know, the AT&T crew came in and, and basically ran, um, you know, Richard Plepler, who was running HBO for years and years, they ran him out, obviously. And, you know, there was that famous uh, town hall meeting with, uh, with, um, John Stanky, who's now in charge of all of, of AT&T at the time. I think he was just in charge of, of Warner Media. Um, and now he's in charge of the whole thing. And there was this weird town hall that they did with the HBO folks. And it was clear at that point that like things were not setting up well. And that played out over the next six, 12 months. And now we're at this point where, they brought in new people, um, you know, including uh, Jason uh, Kyler, who I think is really well regarded. I, I don't know him personally, but I, I do think like, you know, what he did at Hulu is was definitely seems like it was uh, ahead of its time. And he's re- really highly regarded. So there's there's a chance that they can do something interesting here, but it's not going to be what HBO was regardless. Um, and again, I think a- Apple can step in and fill that void. It's It's sort of like you have to accept that some good ideas have a maximum scale of how how much money it's going to make how pervasive it's going to be and i feel like in the cable tv era hbo was about as successful as it could have been it's hard to imagine yep. a scenario where the premise of okay you pay 30, 40, 50 bucks a month for cable TV. And I'm talking about when HBO came up and because right. I realized people, people pay a lot more than that for cable TV <laughs> yeah. now. But the idea was like when I was a kid that it was like, okay, you pay, you know, 30 bucks a month for cable TV and you get all these channels 
and these cable channels, you know, it was such a distinction, you know, like ESPN was so clearly not one of the networks, you know, it was like, it's nothing but sports all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just, you know, Turner classic movies, what a, what a strange channel compared to network TV. It's nothing but old movies. But if you mm-hmm. like old movies, they're, then they're good, you know, and then you watch it and there's commercials. And then here was this thing that was different and it was, Here's what we've got. We've got new movies, like really recent, like ones that you remember being in the theater because they were in the theater like a year and a half ago. And we're going to show them with no commercials. And that sounded, when I was a kid, it was like, it just seemed crazy to me that this idea that they're, what do you mean? They're new movies with no commercials. Neither of those things were possible on the regular TV. Right. And, but you got to pay like 10 bucks a month, you know, and if you can watch, you know, get 10 bucks of family enjoyment per month watching this stuff, these movies, which, you know, it's the whole movie. That's the name, Home Box Office. It was all movies. And then they, you know, started making shows. It was really easy to to say this is easily worth 10 or 15 bucks for our, our you know, us, you know, mm-hmm. Sopranos and Six Feet Under and so many great shows. The Wire, you know, it's the one that so many people think is might be the best show ever made. Yep. You know, that and The Sopranos, you know, a lot of the arguments over what's the best show ever are all between HBO Those shows. Early HBO shows, right. yep. Uh, and, and just 10, is that worth 10 or 15 bucks? And then even when there was home video, it's like, what's it cost to rent a movie? Well, it costs like, you know, to get a tape for two nights, it's five or six bucks or something like that, you know? So it's easy to, to get to work the 10 or 15 bucks that HBO costs into that equation and say, yeah, well, this is great. Then we don't have to go anywhere, nothing to send back. Um, it, but the maximum scope of the idea of HBO, uh, we're only going to show good stuff and you're going to pay extra for it. And that's it. There's a maximum scale to the, how big that was going to be. And it's not as big as Netflix, right? Netflix that- is a bigger idea. It just is. It, you're comparing a very big planet to a sun, you know? I think that's right. And it's interesting to look back upon because like there was this famous sort of like um, idea that, you know, would uh, Netflix be able to become HBO faster than HBO could become Netflix was like a thing that people said back in the day, right? And it actually ended up not being the case at all because they ran a a playbook which – you know, was, was similar in different eras, right? So you noted that, that HBO basically bootstrapped, um, off of Hollywood movies without commercials. And then they eventually moved into their own content and that own content eventually became the main product. Netflix did a very similar thing where they bootstrapped off of uh, old shows, basically more than movies, but they had movies too. Um, and then were able to move into original content and that eventually became the thing. And now it's to the point where not only is it the, I mean, it is, it is being done at a scale that was, you know, previously like, uh, you know, could not be believed that they were spending this amount, doing this amount of new content on a, on a yearly, on a monthly basis, uh, that they are right now. And it's like they just zoomed right past HBO. uh, and, you know, I'm not sure that, that, uh, Netflix wanted to, Netflix even knew that they would, they would do basically create a show for like every type of person, every type of genre, all these different countries, rather than being what HBO was, you know, sort of the high quality bar thing. Maybe they thought in the beginning, like with House of Cards, that, yeah, they would aim for, you know, the HBO style show, high quality, and, and we'll just do a few of these because it's going to be so expensive. And somehow they were able to figure out a way to do this at scale, uh, that HBO now, as we're talking about, like, you know, 
maybe thinks that they can try to do that, but they're not going to be able to because they don't have the right model to be able to do that. Um, and Apple can, Apple doesn't need necessarily like HBO does to to have this be one of the the key pillars of the company. They view it as part of the services narrative, right? right. It's a nice thing uh, that that adds to to their services story. It obviously uh, helps sell Apple devices uh, in some way, and so it makes sense for them to do it. And so HBO is like in this very precarious situation now. Yeah, it's. It's really interesting because I feel like all of those, oh, well, so this new thing, Netflix, has to be like HBO. And it's like, no, that's not their plan at all. So, yeah, you're right. That that whole, will Netflix become HBO faster than HBO can become Netflix? That really was a bad framework. And I, I've used that. I, I know I used that myself. And it was, it, it, it's natural to look at a new thing and think it's going to be like the old thing. Yeah. Um, but, and I don't think it was wrong at the time right. either. I just think that Netflix realized, to their credit, at some point, this is a way bigger opportunity right. than what HBO was doing. Right. It, it's, you know, like Netflix became a gas giant, like Jupiter or Saturn. And, <laughs> yep. and HBO is just like a nice planet, like a Venus, you know? And it's yep. like, and then AT&T buys them up and they're like, okay, guys, turn into a gas giant. And it's like, yeah, uh, exactly right. You know, right. it doesn't so work that way. The planet. And it's like kind <laughs> yeah. of, ruining the thing that we had you know we had a nice thing and it's like it just doesn't work and i i've talked about this on other podcasts before i just find the just the branding alone tells you everything you need to know about how misguided hbo is under current leadership like just call it hbo just it, yeah i agree um it, or do the bigger thing and call it warner max or something yeah. like that and have hbo be a part of it yeah. as being the high end part and you should be able to subscribe to that separately if you right. want to for there's reasons why they didn't do that that i understand like right. there's there's carrier uh, uh, agreements with the cable operators that they couldn't you know necessarily do it in in that seamless of a way but at the end of the day that's obviously like that's the play that they sort of missed and and you know i think that uh you could see it again back back in that original town hall with uh, with John Stanky and and Richard Plepler. Like you just knew that, that they were not going to be able to to do it in in the way that they thought it would be that it would go down seamlessly and and it hasn't so far. And so we'll see, you know, what what the new team in there is able to do. And they have talented people there, but you know, I don't I don't think they're going to be Netflix. And uh, are they going to then pivot back to become try to become HBO as it was again? I don't think I think the cat's out of the bag there. And I think again, Apple might end up sort of beating them to to get back to that. There there was a sense of HBO, like it's not magic. Like the 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 person who doesn't see the difference between a good show and a bad show, and just doesn't have the taste, but just knows well this show's making gazillion dollars and this one's dud and this one all the stars are on magazine covers and on tv and this one's not uh and hbo has this one that everybody's talking about and somebody other channel has this one and so it, just saying it's on hbo that's the difference right get your show on hbo yes. and it becomes hit that's not how it works like it's that's you've got it backwards it was that hbo right. the leadership they were keenly aware of what's a good show and they were really, really, you know, like protective of the brand. It's, you know, a lot like Apple where there's that thousand no's for every yes, you know. And, That's right. And, and how do you make it so that every new product from Apple is a good product? Well, by saying no to everything else and only going with the hits. And how do you, how does HBO keep putting out good shows by being very careful, 
you know, and, and having good taste. I, I, I know, I don't remember the exact details, but you probably have a better idea, but I know the one that slipped through their fingers was Mad Men. Mad Men. Yep. yep. Um, cause yeah, they passed on it. Uh, and you know, that basically made AMC then, right? I mean, AMC was obviously yeah. in existence before then, but it, it became a prestige channel where it wasn't before it was show, showing old movies before, um, uh, movie classics. Right. And, yeah. um, and then it became Mad Men, and then it became uh, Walking Dead, and it became uh, uh, Halt and Catch Fire, which is one of my all-time favorite yeah. shows. Uh, um, and so it did. It became prestige television. Now they have a they have uh, AMC Plus. I think that just launched as uh, you know. I think it's an Apple TV channel now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they that that is one that they missed, and they you know they they talk about that. They they totally missed on that. Right, and so it's almost more notable that they missed a good show. Not that they put out a yes. dud, whereas now yes. it's just sort of like, oh, we've got a gazillion things, and I, I don't know, it's kind of sad. But I do, and I, I feel like the, it's such an interesting way to frame it, and I know that there are still people who are Apple TV Plus haters who are thinking they're really rolling their eyes, and they're like, oh my god, one good show, Ted Lasso, and you guys are calling it the new HBO. <laughs> but yeah. I kind of, I, I see it, and I feel like... It, the big difference is that Apple is a hundred percent willing to just let Apple TV plus be what it is and try to try to have, just make it synonymous with good shows. And they also, and they're doing movies too, right? right. This is like, uh, you know, they, they bought the Tom Hanks, um, Greyhound one, which right. is a great movie. It's a, you know, a nice uh, sort of quick watch. Um, obviously it was, uh, it was an opportunity that came about because of the COVID situation, but that's like, I can see that working as well. You know, they can do just like HBO used to do. They did, they did their own movies too. And you could do great movies, great shows, uh, and just keep the, the, the bar, the quality bar high. Um, you know, there was, there was early trepidation, uh, that Apple would be too hands-on right yeah. with the shows and, and there reports that maybe that was happening and and it seems like now that's quieted down i think they've made they've made a number of racy sort of uh episodes of various shows if not the entire shows themselves and so i think there's less fear about that the talent then can be less fearful because that was the main concern right Right. that if the the talent felt like that that apple was meddling they're not going to go there because they that's why hbo with plepler they love that guy because they felt like he was on their side he was you know the the guy who was uh going to be their their biggest champion to make sure that their show was a success once you sold him and hbo on your show they're like okay we're sold go do your thing we'll get you a budget you know and we'll let you do your thing we trust you we're you know you're on team hbo now go do it and i i feel like that that stuff with apple is one of those things i need to do a claim chowder on um because i feel like none of that panned out and nobody says it anymore because it it obviously doesn't hold water there there were reports that tim cook was giving notes to the showrunners right. to be nicer and it's like man you, you you know none of these a lot of these well ted lasso is very nice but not in a <laughs> not in a corny way it right it still has crude things about it right, right. i'll bet uh, you know what i'll bet tim cook loves ted lasso oh, oh yeah. my god oh you know he does oh yeah but in a good way but like uh uh uh, the morning show is obviously Apple's premier uh, to date award winner. Won a bunch, you know, mm-hmm. got a bunch of Emmy nominations, and I thought it was good. I agree with you. Um, I actually feel I wanted to say this before we move on to a new topic. For me and Amy, it was a lot like Succession, where at least for the first half, maybe even the first six episodes of the first season, we were kind of lukewarm, yeah, but just enough to keep going. 
and then it heated up. I totally up. agree. I think that we were in the exact same boat with Succession and with The Morning Show. And then, yeah, they both got good around the end, those last three episodes or so of the first season. Yeah. And then Succession took off from there. And now is, is you know, multiple seasons in. And, and The Morning Show is about to, I think, start production on the second season. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. And it wasn't that the first episodes were bad. It was that they, they served to set up stuff. It was like they yes. did a lot of work. And we're asking a bit of patience of you as the viewer to, you know, give us five hours to go through these episodes. Not that it's a slog, but that it's just a lot of foundational work for payoff later. And then all of a sudden it can start moving fast because it's building on this stuff from these other episodes. And I, I, I really thought it was, I, I was like, this is just like succession when we were watching the, the, the morning show. And then the other thing too, and again, I don't want to give any spoilers for people who haven't watched it yet, but any idea that they were going to shy away from, uh, R-rated uh, subject right, matter. Subject matter. It's yeah. like forget it. And this is their premiere show. This is the one where Tim Cook was there at the 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 gala premiere, and you know it's their award winner, and they've spent a fortune promoting it and advertising and stuff like that. Um, and it's you know it is absolutely R-rated. I mean, it, it's it, there's no we're going to go with a Disney level of uh, right. subject matter. To it, you know, servant. The only same thing, thing I would servant is a I very would, creepy R-rated show. Oh yeah, that's right to the point where whenever it does the autoplay, I keep swiping away from it. <laughs> on the thing, it's like what what, are, what am I looking at here? Um, uh, but the only thing I would I would say on that, um, I, I think you should do the claim chatter uh, uh, piece and and hunt those things down. I will say I did hear from people. Uh, you know, I worked in in Hollywood as a very low level uh, production assistant for a time, and I still know some people there. And I will say I did hear that as well, like the same. Uh, the same type of idea that that Apple was meddling from people there. Um, so I do think that there was some element of truth to that. I don't think that it was it was completely um, BS. But I, I I almost wonder now if that doesn't um, signal well to Apple that they sort of quickly realized like, look, yeah. we're setting up to do you know we need to set this up for success. We're doing a big push. We're spending millions and tens of millions of dollars on this uh, new initiative um, and trying to really make this a big thing. And, and one of our one of the jewels of the Apple crown. Let's you know. Let's run the playbook the way that that you know a Hollywood studio would run it, the way that HBO would run it, and let's let the creative talent do their thing. We'll be more hands off, and and we recognize that this is not like an Apple product type thing. All right, let me just tell you the worst Apple TV Plus show I've seen. The worst. Okay. Amazing what? stories. The Spielberg one. Yep. I didn't watch it. Oh my um, god. We only got. Bad, I think huh? we. I forget if we watched three or four, but it, it was the only reason. We stuck with it was the idea that it has to be better. We had we were like, why would they make the first episode so bad? You'd think they'd put it, at least make the first one good. And we're like, well, with the pedigree, it has to yeah, get better. Right. And so we we I think we might have watched four, but and after four, we were just like, this is a dreck. This is really are they are they just like are they hokey? Like yeah, what, what about just it? Just hokey and just just unengaging. It's just you oh. know it's like trying to strike a wet match, you know, and it's <laughs> like uh, just not good. I, I really, yeah. Just, well, so you know they gotta you gotta work out some kinks, but I mean that's an obvious sort of mistake to make, right? right? Like who would not work with Steven Spielberg on a, on a show, yeah. uh, like a remake of a show that was that was popular? Right. Of course they're going to do that, right. and and the, the one last point I think you know that speaks to uh, why people are sort. 
at, at some level were rooting against, it seemed like Apple TV Plus, because I think like the way that they presented it to the world, right, in that weird, weird pre- uh, conference that they did, press conference uh, events, was, you know, sort of misguided in many ways, right? Because uh, it's not something they tried to make an Apple event out of like what was like yeah. an upfront, yeah. basically. And uh, it was weird. It was very weird with Oprah and everything. Yeah. And, you know, they needed to let the content speak for itself. And there, they didn't show any of the content. Yeah. All they did was trot out stars on stage to talk about how great it is to work with Apple. That was, you know, it was like, uh, <laughs> talking, it's like a, like a political uh, theater type situation. It was very strange. Yeah. That's another one where I feel like it, 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 it was sort of like Apple has its way of doing announcements and Hollywood has its way of doing announcements and they are the way they yeah. are for good reasons. And then it came time to announce it and it was like a car crash. It was like, wait, this, it's like a collision, <laughs> you know, like car crash is bad analogy, but it's it, like two people who aren't paying attention to each other who bump into each other and spill everything. It was like, this style of presentation doesn't work with this. And it was truly, and, and it, I don't know that Apple even foresaw it. Like with the skepticism people had that, uh, I just don't believe that a tech company is going to do good in Hollywood. And then when they yeah. didn't show anything, it was like, yeah, there was a re- the reason you don't show anything is that it's bad. And it, exactly. which is actually true, right? That is a reasonable assumption to make. All right, let's take a break and I will do and tell you about. Uh, our third and final sponsor, another repeat sponsor, Feels, F-E-A-L-S. Do you experience stress? Do you have anxiety? This sounds like 2020 to me. Chronic pain, trouble sleeping at least once a week. You are not alone. Many people do. Feels is premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. Feels naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. Just take a few drops under your tongue and you can feel the difference within minutes. If you are new to CBD, and most people are, they have a free hotline. You can call them up, talk to them. They have text message support. You can ask them questions, and they will help guide your personal experience, tell you what to expect, what to order, that sort of thing. Uh, it works naturally to help you feel better. There is no high, no hangover, no addiction and they have a membership program. You join the Fields community and you get Fields delivered to your door every month uh, and you save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. So if you need to go away, you can pause it. If you're done with it, you can cancel anytime. So where do you go to find out more? F-E-A-L-S dot com slash talk show. Fields dot com slash talk show. And when you go there, you get 50% off your first order with free shipping if you become a member. That is 50% off with free shipping just by going to feels.com slash talk show and becoming a member. Uh, my thanks to them. Uh, one more time, feels.com, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash talk show. Uh, so while we're talking entertainment, we got to talk movies. And you are probably the biggest Christopher Nolan fan I know. And I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. Um, and yeah, I uh, I am I'm a big one, and so this past obviously few months has been fascinating to watch, mainly because like I totally disagree with his stance on Tenet, what they've done, um, because so you know as you know they had Tenet done, it was going to be one of the big marquee movies this summer. Obviously, plans changed, plans had to change, and rather than doing what everyone else has done and 
postpone to next year. Uh, obviously, they postponed Tenet a couple times uh, to later in the summer, but they eventually just opened it. And, you know, it hasn't done well at the box office, which is no surprise given the state of the world. Um, but I think it's – I, I just think it was a mistake to, to launch it because I think it sets a, a bad – uh, you know, I said I think it's a, the wrong tone. I think it's it's a bad uh, idea uh, to to try to entice people to go to a movie theater if they're not at all comfortable with it. And obviously, some people are going to be comfortable with it. And some of the theaters, I'm sure, are doing a great job. Uh, you know, making sure everything is safe and and clean and and all that. And we haven't heard of any, as far as I know, any major right. outbreaks as a result. But still, I just think it it's it, he didn't read the room right, um, and neither did the you know the. Um, the studio, and I just think they should have, they should have postponed it if they really wanted to make it a theatrical thing until next year. It's hard to imagine a movie that's more in my wheelhouse. I, I would go see. I, I remember, totally. I, I had a friend years ago. I mean, this was back in the late nineties because it was when he was still alive. But somebody was talking about when Eyes Wide Shut was was announced and was coming out, mm-hmm. and somebody was like, "I don't know, that one doesn't sound interesting to me." And my one friend said, "I would if somebody said Kubrick made a movie about paint drying, I would go I I would go buy right. a ticket." And I was like, "Yeah, right. cuz you just trust, you know, Christopher Nolan, you know, his new movie, Paint Drying on a Wall. I I would watch it cuz I'll bet it'd be good." <laughs> I, I don't know why. I don't know what his and- not only that, you know it's going to be great in the theater because he yes. does legitimately care about this more than anyone. Right. He cares about sound. He, he does the IMAX. He does filming on IMAX right. cameras. Like he cares about this to the utmost of anyone, okay. uh, obviously. And so you can understand why he doesn't want to launch it on one of the streaming right. services um, or, or direct to you know direct to iTunes um, and and all the PVOD services. But again, just postpone it then, like everyone yeah. else is doing it, uh, till next year. Uh, which was the Batman that was like partially IMAX. I think it was the second one. I, I actually the the Dark Knight or no Dark Knight. Oh was, yeah, I, right. Yeah, they they had a few scenes in the Dark Knight that were shot exclusively yeah. for IMAX. Yeah, yeah. And that's right. My son and I went to see it at the Franklin Institute here in Philadelphia, where their IMAX screen is the real IMAX. And yep. it was sort of a weird experience. So we saw that one twice in the theaters. We saw it in a regular theater, and then we went to see it in the IMAX. Or I guess we went to IMAX first. Um, and it takes a little bit of time to get used to. It's sort of like, like uh, maybe like if you like went back in time and brought Thomas Jefferson to the modern day and showed him a movie, and and you know it might take him a while for his brain to handle seeing a motion picture on a hundred foot screen. Uh-huh. It's like seeing. Batman on a real IMAX screen took some time for your brain to process. But then once you got into it, it was amazing. It really was yeah, it's so immersive. It's so, I, I, I saw interstellar twice in IMAX because it's yeah. like, it was the most immersive. They've shot a huge percentage of that in with IMAX cameras. And I mean, yeah. it's, it's like one of the most immersive experiences I've ever had. Right. And, and he's a huge, speaking of Kubrick, uh, Christopher Nolan is a big Kubrick fan. And, and in fact, supervised the last, um, uh, cleanup of 2001, which actually, Oh, I didn't even, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like the color correction and stuff to keep it the way it should be. And, um, we saw that I took my son, I I'd been holding out on letting him see 2001 until he could see it in a theater. And we went to see it on an IMAX screen and you know, it was shot uh, 70 millimeter, but the, and we went to see it on a regular IMAX movie screen, but that's the point of 70 millimeter is that you can show it big and it looks huge. Good. right? Right. Yeah. And that's what I, that's what showing it on a digital production projection of it on an IMAX screen does is it just, it's, 
big. And there is, I'm a big believer in this. I really do. There's a psychological effect of seeing something big that your brain knows is big. You know it's a giant 200-foot screen or however big the screen is. That yeah. is more than just the effect of field of view, right? And mm-hmm. and like the most profound way of doing it is you can hold the phone close enough to your eyes to fill a movie theater <laughs> right, size. to be bigger than the equivalent of that. Right. Yeah, it, right. It's more than that, you know, and, and having a nice big 70-inch TV in your house and sitting close to it, it still is not the same psychological effect of something that your brain knows is big. It's more – field of view doesn't explain it all. I'll give you two other uh, sides to that. One is that the other thing that I think about a lot and what I really miss about movie theaters, and we can get into movie theaters themselves in a second, but um, I also just think a big part of it is uh, is you s- yourself knowing that you're not going to check your phone during it and knowing that everyone around you is not going to yeah. check your phone during it. You're, yeah. f- you're all fully immersed in the same experience. Yep. And I think that that's like, it seems like a subtle distinction, but I think that that's a really important one. Um, yeah. The other thing, as a brief aside, I would I would say one the most recent time I saw 2001, we actually saw it with the uh, San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. Mm. It's an amazing experience. I don't know if you've ever done that, where you go and see no. a movie with the orchestra. So I've seen now I've seen 2001. I've seen Breakfast at Tiffany's in London um, with the, with the orchestra there, and then I've seen uh, Batman, the the uh, Tim Burton Batman. Um, all three are amazing if you can see them in that regard. They, they, you know, obviously the the audio is is the key part of that. They bring down a big screen. It, you know, it's not an IMAX screen, but it's a big, nice size screen, uh, and that's great. But seeing it with a uh, 2001 was was quite the experience, uh, as you might imagine. So I highly recommend that if they if they ever do something like that near you. Uh, uh, I we almost went to see The Empire Strikes Back that way, and something fell through because it's the sort of thing where it's like they they don't do it every day for a month. It's like special, right, you know, right. special engagement. We had like some kind of conflict. I, I really wanted to. I'm sure it would be uh, immersive. The the Batman IMAX thing. It was so immer- immersive. Is just the best way to put it. And I know it sounds like uh, catchphrase. It's hype or whatever. But it was like, man, when when Batman jumped off that building to in Hong yep. Kong to like crash through the window and and take that guy back to back to Gotham City. I mean, right. it was more immersive than like. Disney rides where they blow wind on you and do tri- and play, you know, s- pump smells into the air and stuff. All that's, <laughs> right. but I, that's sort of, I love all that stuff at Disney too, but yeah. it was just yeah. purely visual, no wind, no smell, but there was like a, like a palm sweatiness, you know, like, oh my God. I, one I, of the best ones I've seen of that is actually not a Christopher Nolan one. It was uh mission, Impo- one of the mission impossibles. I th- it wasn't the most recent one. I think it was, two or three ago it's the one where they're at uh the Bur- burj khalifa the you know the world's tallest building yes yes and that's the one brad uh, bird directed yes it is that's right, right. brad bird um the pixar yes yeah. famous pixar director so um there's a scene where they're outside uh he uh, tom cruise is walking outside and uh you know is about to walk scale down the side of you know the tallest yeah. building in the world and right when that happens they do this brilliant thing where if you're seeing it on imax they just open up the field of view to full IMAX scale and you're just looking down. And I mean, it's an incredible experience uh, when you first see that. Yeah. Oh man. So anyway, I'm big believer in it. So I hold tenant till next year. I could see doing it. I'm glad. And you know, 
So what's up my wheel? I'm a huge fan of my favorite directors. Like there are certain directors who once you're on my list, I'll watch anything. I just don't even, don't show me the preview. Don't show me the trailer. I'm in, you know, um, the new Sofia Coppola movie. Uh, yeah, the Bill Murray one. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah, did you you even before you told me Bill Murray's in it though? You tell me Sofia Coppola made a new movie. I'm in line. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Nolan. I'm in line. Spy movie. Cr- typical Nolan esque time twisting. You t- stop. Stop telling me. I'm in line. I, this <laughs> yeah. is all. Uh, you know the. the I, I cannot wait for the new James Bond movie. I cannot wait. I, I I really kind of feel like they went off the rails with Sam Mendes a little bit, where it's it, you know I could do we could do a whole podcast about what I think is wrong with Skyfall and Spectre, um, oh. and uh, I, I always mispronounce his name. What's his Koji Fukunawa, uh, the guy who's directed the new Bond movie? Um, yeah, the uh, Carrie Carrie Koji. Fukunawa. <laughs> I will screw it up too. But, um, yeah, ch- famously did True Detective season one, right? which was amazing. Speaking of HBO, right? Uh, yes, right. Yeah, totally. One of the best ever. That season one, yeah, that was great. And in terms of like uh, having like multiple hour long episodes that build that are just there to serve the point of something that happens in episode six. Man, oh man. Yeah. Um, but they're, you know, they postponed. They were supposed to open last spring, postponed till November. November is obviously not going to happen. We already know that. So they've already said, oh, we'll go to next spring, you know. Right. Um, I've, I feel like Tenet should have done that. I really do. Yeah, they absolutely should have. Um, and, you know, uh, all these movies that I think it speaks to sort of where we're headed with movies in general as well, because you know, as has been the trend for a long time, there's now these tentpole movies, the Christopher Nolan, you know, prominent example, James Bond movies, obviously tentpole movies that are going to be in theaters. And now we're seeing more and more movies because of the result of, of COVID and everything that's happened. There's now these like other tier of movies, which are still great movies, which can go straight to streaming and can go straight to the living room. Um, they, They don't necessarily need to be seen. The directors may want them to be seen and that's fine. I think it should be at their discretion. Um, uh, you know, for a for a high profile enough director, I would say. But even like, look, Martin Scorsese put um, the Irishman, you know, with Netflix, yeah. uh, and and his new movie is going to be that way too. It sounds like, right? Yeah. I think with Apple, yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, it just feels like we're heading to a world where um, it seems inevitable that a bunch of smaller movies go direct to streaming the movies like one of my favorite movies is a movie called michael clayton i don't know if you've seen it Um, many times it's a great movie it's something though that would never it seems like it would never be a theatrical movie maybe because of george clooney because he's still a big enough star that he would you know basically drive people to theaters but it didn't do all that well i think when it was in theaters but it's the type of movie that probably would be a netflix or or an apple tv plus movie these days right um so you're going to have those types of movies which go to streaming. We're going to have the big tent poles which go, and obviously Disney is the preeminent example of of all those tent poles. Every Disney movie is basically a tent pole movie at this point. And so I wonder if we don't get back to the world where, um, because of what unfortunately has happened to the movie uh, theaters, um, with Regal now reshutting down everything, um, and AMC, the biggest one, you know, striking deals with Paramount to try to to make some money on the side. Uh, if it doesn't just go back to the world, which is one of the original 
original antitrust things where the theaters end up uh, being owned by studios again. Yeah. Doesn't it make sense for Disney to own its own studios now yeah. and basically have that as a as part of the product offering? So yeah. they have Disney Plus, and then maybe they offer it in theaters as well for the biggest movies. Yeah, and if you if you already subscribe to Disney Plus, you can show your phone, maybe get in free or discount right or, or something like that right or some sort of upsell like they did with mulan um yeah. and yeah i mean i think that that's like the world that we're that we're going to see uh much faster as a result of uh of the covid situation than we had previously because i love going to movie theaters and i want them to exist some of the best movie theaters in the world are some of the great experiences in the world um there's this place in london that i used to love to go to called electric cinema uh there's a few of them but there's one in, in notting hill in particular that people who hear this who have been there will know what i'm talking about it's a one screen ama- amazing experience uh theater those are the greatest things in the world the alamo draft house is a great theater the amc is the world's not great theaters and uh you know i think we're all okay if there's fewer of those but i think that we can we can recreate a world now from the ground up where the theatrical experience is like a more magical thing across the board again yeah and it speaks to and again not to put on a a free enterprise you know at all costs uh, hat but you know it, it speaks to the way that regulation gets so caught up in current events and then it lasts forever like it was Correct. news to me. I'm a nerd for the entertainment industry and I sort of follow politics and it was news to me. I didn't know until like at some point this year in the context of the the danger of theater chains going completely bankrupt in COVID that it's illegal for the for the studios to own their own theaters. Right. Uh, yeah, the the Paramount decree, yeah. uh, which I, they just are making changes to right, right now so that we will be able to to go back to that world. Because to your point, it may have made sense, you know, in 1940 70 whatever, years ago. Yeah. Right. It does not make sense uh, anymore because the world is just totally different now. And, and in fact, that may end up being the savior of many of these movie theaters. Yeah. Um, you know, Netflix has already bought a couple theaters – um, and I think Disney and, and the other studios are going to be in the same the same position to do that as just another offering in their their sort of tool belt. And I always call it a usual suspects moment, uh, where it's that that the denouement at usual suspects, where uh, the the detective figures out, you know, again yeah, right. I, without falling, spoiling it, everybody falling, who's yeah. seen it knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and there's this yeah. moment where he drops his coffee cup, and it's like, oh, and you. And it's so great because you in the audience are like, no, oh, yeah, <laughs> right? And yeah. I, I love those moments. But there was this thing to go back in Disney lore at the tail end of the Michael Eisner era in the 90s. Disney had this plan. I forget what they were called, but they were going to build these entertainment complexes in cities mm-hmm. instead of theme parks. It was like their next – instead of building a new theme park in Orlando or something like that or a new Disneyland in another country somewhere around the world, they were going to build these things. And one of the places they were going to build it was here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And there was a – it's a great location. It was like right here in Center City, Philadelphia, and it was on the spot of what used to be – like a hundred years ago, one of the big department stores and mm-hmm. long ago was destroyed. And it was just, it's a prime spot of real estate right on market street. Uh, just couldn't find a better spot. Um, that was literally not a parking garage, just a parking lot, <laughs> prime real estate. It's like, it's like things that happen in Philadelphia that would never happen in Manhattan is just prime real estate as a parking lot. But because it used to be, um, 
a, a building. It had a, you know, like a basement. And so mm-hmm. the parking garage was built on top of this. It was hollow. And every couple of years, it would, it was like a sinkhole waiting to happen. It was like, I wouldn't park my car there. That lot is <laughs> concave. It looked like a bowl. But they were, they, they didn't want to do anything like put anything more permanent there because they just kept thinking somebody's going to buy it and Disney was going to buy it and spend billions of dollars to make this entertainment complex never came to fruition. But no, the plan never included movie theaters. And I always thought that was weird. And right of it, all the things. Yeah. Like, it was like they're going to have does. like laser yeah. gun, you know, like laser guns and, and other stuff and all sorts of right. interactive stuff, but no movie theater. I was like, that's crazy. Why there, there's a need in center city Philly for great movie theaters. And in fact, they did. It's so tragic because it opened right before COVID. They did actually, there is a new movie theater in, in downtown Philadelphia, very close to the spot where Disney was going to build this. But it turns out it's like my usual suspect moment. Oh, they weren't going to put movie theaters in because that would have been illegal. <laughs> Right. Which is crazy. You can build like laser tag and uh, indoor roller coasters and other things, but you can't have a movie theater because you're a movie I like, studio. I like the idea of them building that in secret and then at the grand opening, them taking away like Michael Eisner in handcuffs. Yeah, because uh, you, know, for- <laughs> yeah, you build a movie theater to show uh, <laughs> right. the Lion King or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of theaters and people being in a room together – Apple has an event next week uh, as we speak. Uh, they're calling it High Comma Speed. And it, again, for obvious reasons, will not be held in an actual theater. It'll be remote. Um, and I guess we can wrap up by talking about what we expect to see. Yeah. Um, so this is obviously event number two. I'm curious if this is the last one, if this is going to be everything, and we'll get to that in a second. But obviously... It is the iPhone event, but they're the naming of it, right? There's always these uh, these Zapruder, Zapruder film like right. uh, analysis of the of the invite and, and what it means. The name is interesting. Uh, it does seem like you know, given what what the rumors have been, that there's there's some element of of it being a pun on on maybe the high speeds of the phones, but also like the look of it is sort of HomePod esque, right? And like the rumor that there would be a new home HomePod device with with concentric circles showing, um, you know, the audio element of it. Uh, but it, you know, is, is there something else to that? Is, is it Apple chips, uh, silicon chips? Is it something else? It's funny because I, my take was, I don't think there's much to read into on this invitation. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Right. And because everything could be speed is like the easiest thing to talk about. Everything is always getting faster. They're computers. Uh, so it's, to me, it's sort of a blank slate, that they could they could have used this invitation in title last year. They could have used it five years ago. They could use right. it five years from now. But you tell people that, and it's part of the reason I do it. Here's a little insider secret if you're listening to the show is I like to do that to hear because the best way to to get people's theories on what it means is to tell them you don't think it means anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so there's people. I mean, there are people who are willing to like bet their mortgage that it's about five G. <laughs> There are people yeah. who think it means that the Apple Silicon Macs are coming and they're going to yeah. be super fast. Uh, uh, the latency, the latency of uh, HomePod audio responses with the voice assistant. Uh, yeah. What that, about high high fidelity? You yeah, know, kind of yeah. Because yeah. it's so people think it's any and all of those things. I, I it could be. I, I just don't feel like the the the. Uh, oh, and somebody somebody thinks that it's the. Um, because there are rumors that Apple has, while they scrapped the charging pad, you know, the right. air power, 
and right. I'm sure they won't use reuse the name, but that they haven't given up on their own wireless, wireless charging power. thing, and that right. it might be that might be power. You know, they might those those circles might symbolize the power coming out of a wireless charging pad. Um, and they and they look a bit like the air tags, which is sort of yeah, leaked out, like right. at least visually, right? Right, yeah. and maybe they're with the air tags where you find your devices that you put the tags on. Um, that that those are like radar waves to show. Who knows? It could be any or all of that. <laughs> doesn't matter. But you know, I, I feel like who knows. Uh, what we do know, obviously, is it's the iPhone event, right? Uh, and. It seems pretty well established what the iPhones are going to be, you know, at this point. Obviously, the 5G element is the key portion of it. But also, they're moving to sort of the different sizes, three different sizes potentially. And will it, are they actually – do you think they're actually going to call one of them the iPhone mini? Uh, maybe. I actually feel like that passes the sniff test. And the names yeah. typically don't leak. I know uh, – I think German – got the iPhone 10 name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's right. Right. And I, you know, lost I as I often do, you know, uh lose my bets. I thought, well, if that's really the name or maybe German didn't get the name, maybe the name iPhone with a capital X came out of the a software leak. Maybe that was Stephen. I Prattin think Smith. it was right. I think it was leaked somewhere in software, yeah. Yeah, all right. I take it back. So with the iPhone 10, it was a software leak that but all we knew because it was a that this is right. It was because it was a software leak. We only knew the way it was typed. You know, iPhone. Right. And it space. was the X a placeholder for something else. Was something, it a right? placeholder or was it a ten Roman numerals or was it an X like Xbox? And mm-hmm. I thought for sure it would be an X like Xbox if that's really the name, because I so hate my hatred of Roman numerals is so profound <laughs> that I couldn't believe they would do it again after finally getting away from iPhone uh, Mac OS ten, right, <laughs> which right. stuck them with this weird version number for twenty years. Oh, and everyone saying OS X, right? Know, who does, who's, doesn't know? Yeah, right. Everybody's saying it wrong anyway. That was my argument. <laughs> my argument was everybody said it wrong for fifteen years and they just got away from it. They're going to call it the iPhone X. Uh, and German predicted, no, I think it'll be 10 because it's the 10th anniversary of the iPhone. And he was right. Um, I Names tend not to leak because that group gets to keep them. And, and they even print if you I, – I honestly think it's an anti-secrecy measure uh, that, that like when you buy a new iPhone, it, the box just says iPhone. Yeah, like because yeah. they put these boxes, you know, and and your back of your iPhone. Uh, now it doesn't even say anything. Now it just has an Apple logo. It doesn't even say iPhone anymore. But it always used to just say iPhone on the phone instead of saying like iPhone whatever. Right, and so instead, what leaks is the the model like A one five six three whatever. Right. Yeah. But this uh, iPhone Mini name has has leaked. I believe it because they've stuck with Mini for smaller. It will be the smallest of the new iPhones, um, yep. you know, and again, without getting out our rulers and doing it, but the basic idea is that compared to last year, there will still be two pro models, a smaller one and a bigger one, I guess called Max. And then there'll be the regular one that's just called iPhone that's cheaper mm-hmm. and is made of aluminum. And now that cheaper one will have a smaller sibling. I, I believe that they would call that one the mini because it might be the main selling point of it is, you know, if you want a smaller iPhone, here it is. 
And they also, it still allows them to have the SE to our earlier points, right? Like right. you can still have the SE because the people, you know, at first associated the SE as being sort of the, the mini iPhone, but that was never clearly now the intention of it. Right. Um, and so they can, they can remain with that. Like, like we talked about the sort of two year cycle for those and, and then do the mini as the actual small version of the phone, which is, which is sort of funny because it's obviously going to be far bigger than like the original iPhone. Um, but compared to the other ones, it's going to be pretty small, especially compared to what this, this new rumored biggest one is going to be the, you know, the biggest one ever. Right. Which is just gigantic. It's going to be like the size of, I don't know, the size of a MacBook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My wife has the iPhone 11. Pro Max, and every time I pick up her phone, like she'll be like, "Hey, can you bring my phone up?" or you know, whatever. Every single time I pick it up, I'm like, "This is so big." That's what I have too, and I often think about sort of downsizing. Um, but I, for a while, obviously, the camera element was the big yeah. uh, selling point, but now those are at parity. Um, and I don't think I don't think anything is rumored, right, to be bigger, to be better uh, beyond the screen size about the new Max versus the reg. Regular Pro models, is yeah. that right? Uh, I, I, I think so. Yeah, it's unclear. There's like a lot of talk about the Pro Motion right yeah. screen, uh, and they may not do that, even though it's been on the iPad for a while. Um, but seemingly, it'll just be all the Pro models have the 5G. There's one that's slightly bigger. That's that's the Max version. Um, they all have the same chip, and uh, you know, maybe it. In the past, I think one of them might have had slightly more RAM, I think, too. Um, but they never talked about that, obviously. And there's some spec. I, I'm less interested in what the rumors, what the leakers say, and more interested in just playing the what what might be coming, just because we're going to find out anyway. But I think that right. the rumor mill, the leaker mill, is that only the Max is going to have a certain form of 5G networking, which seems, okay. seems really weird to me. Yeah. Um, but that it is more, it, or it takes up more space and therefore it's the only one with the room for it. Um, but I, to me, the 5G thing, I, it, it always puts Apple in a weird spot when they go through these things. So the first one, when they went from edge to 3G was easy because edge was really, really slow. I mean, like yep. re- in hindsight, ridiculously slow. Um, right. And everyone was on them that they, you know, th- there was already 3G available, right. but they weren't using it. And so, yeah. And, you know, one year, <laughs> or two years, I guess. It was two years before they came out. No, one year. It was only one no, year. No, one year, because they right. skipped. There was no iPhone 2. Right, they right. Right to iPhone 3G. Right. Uh, and then when they went from 3G to LTE, it it definitely, I mean, and there still is a switch in settings to turn off LTE, because, you know, why, do, why weren't they the first ones to jump on LTE? Well, the, it doesn't make any sense, because... The first one, like there have been 5G phones for well over a year on the market. Right. Um, but when a new network technology rolls out, it takes a long time to roll out everywhere. The first chips aren't the most efficient. They're battery, you know, they, they, they consume yeah. a lot of energy. And um, there's a reason why when we went from 3G to LTE, I, I turned off the LTE for a long time. I, I you know, because it was, it was like I wasn't getting faster speeds and I was definitely losing battery life and I'd turn it off and just use 3g and I didn't notice the speed difference in the real world and my battery lasted longer. I wouldn't be surprised if we wind up in a similar situation where 5g for a lot of people in a lot of places maybe doesn't do them anything. And the other weird thing about 5g for Apple is it's not really their feature. It's a network feature and other phones have it. So however fast 5g is, 
it's not iPhone specific. It applies to any phone on the same network with the same 5G carrier. Right. I, I agree with all of that. Uh, obviously, some of the early tests, you know, like it's rolled out in places in San Francisco. I don't have any of the devices, but the early tests are like, you know, they're good. They're not great. They're not that much better. In some cases, they're worse um, than than what we have right now with with LTE or whatever, uh, 5GE, whatever yeah. bullshit uh, AT&T uses <laughs> uh, to, to name it. But um yeah, I mean, I think that that's right. That's why it's um, you know, it's always the question of when Apple will actually do this and it feels like it feels like there was some pressure maybe to do it uh, you know, this year instead of waiting another year. Um uh, you know, pressure on on the sales of uh, you know, potential the, potentially the iPhone, but uh, I don't know that it's going to be vital for another year uh, to really have it, and that uh, that'll make that big of a difference to people. Yeah, and maybe, but maybe that's the way it goes, where you kind of have to roll it out at a certain point, you know. And and again, we don't talk about the carriers anywhere near as much as we did ten years ago in the early years of iPhone when they were more dominant and we were more used to. I mean, in the early years of the iPhone, it wasn't until the iPhone 4 that they were even on more than one carrier in the United States. Right. And it wasn't even right. the main, it was a special edition of the iPhone 4 that came out in February. Yeah. I remember going to the Verizon event in New York. Right. It was there. And yeah. I, I, it was the first, that was, I remember it specifically because it was the first Apple product I got as a review unit. It was the Verizon iPhone 4. Yeah. Um, you know, it, so it was a couple of years before they were even on more than one network. We're, we're away from the idea that the, the carriers tell us why to buy new phones, right? I mean, it's just not yeah. how we think about it. They're just, you know, it's just give me, give me, give me upstream and downstream. That's it. Right. So here, here's an interesting tangent off of that for you, um, which relates to one thing that they may or may not talk about here. Um, do you think that they'll do a, uh, a MacBook with their own silicon with 5G. I think they might, and it might be why they've been waiting. It just seems mm-hmm. so weird that they haven't done that. And I I agree. You talk to people about it, they almost uniformly say that it has much more to do with the operating system right. than anything else, right? right. Like that o- OS 10 previously in mac os right. now uh just wasn't geared to do that and you see it when you were like tethered i there were many times when i've been tethered to a like a MiFi device and i wake up and i look at how much data is used and it's like 10 gigabytes overnight right. because it was doing all the stuff in the background right and it just isn't i remember marco arment years and years ago uh, was i think it was a wwdc and uh uh, the hotel Wi-Fi was terrible, so he tethered, left his Mac mm-hmm. connected overnight, and woke up in the morning and used up his entire connection because his right. Mac had like downloaded a bunch of like iTunes shows. <laughs> right, and it's exactly. like, oh, well, your Mac didn't know. Your Mac is just like, oh, I've got a network connection. Well, yeah, I, great, there's great a new episode yeah. of Mad Men. Here we go. Here you go. Here it is, ready for you. <laughs> right. High def, even. And it's like, no, right. I didn't want you to do that. Those episodes cost ten thousand dollars. Enjoy. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know how you solve that. And you know, again, it's just simple, basic things we've been talking about forever, and we all know it's true. You know that apps on the Mac. If you have them running, they're just running. It doesn't matter if you're looking at them or not. And on iPads and iPhones, back being in the background means something very different than just is the window frontmost. Um, you don't accidentally download, you know, gigabytes of stuff in the background on your phone. Right. Other than weird cases where there's bugs. I know, please don't, 
don't tell me about the time that you, I, I know it happens and I'm very sorry that you got a bill for it, but. Um, and so we haven't seen anything like that in, in Big Sur, right? Where right. there's like an indication that the apps in the background are changing in some way. Yeah, but I, uses. yeah, but I think there are some APIs for that. There are, I, I think without going on a big tangent, I think there are some APIs for like, Max to have that sort of fine grain control and they could add it. So I wouldn't be surprised. And basically, long story short, with the, I don't think there's going to be, let's just cut to the chase. Do we think that the Apple Silicon Macs are coming next week? My answer is no, I don't think so. Um, I, well, I don't think they're coming next week. I think there's a chance they talk about it though. Uh, I think, I still think they're coming before the end of the year would be what I would bet on. The question then is, do they talk about it? next week or do they have a third event because now we're in the world of virtual events where they're nice and yeah. not easy but relatively uh easier to to stage do they do one in november or something like that that's what i think and i know that i've are you know politely fun arg you know remember when arguments were fun this is a fun argument <laughs> it is yeah. uh apple has had late november early december mac press briefings for years now like the mm -hmm. last year they did the brand new 16 inch macbook pro with the fixed keyboard in december uh that's right yeah and okay. the mac pro launched in december and the hands-on with the uh pro display xdr and the mac pro and the first time we got to see we in the media got to see the mac pro rack mounted. They didn't have that at WWDC when they announced it. That was all right. in a press brief. They didn't do an event. It wasn't at the Steve Jobs Theater. They might have had something in Cupertino for West Coast Media, but I went to the one in New York. Um and there were a bunch of media there, you know, but it wasn't something for it wasn't streamed to the public. There was no you know, I, I people who aren't in the media don't realize maybe that Apple does that because there wasn't a thing to watch if you were at right, home. Right, right. But they do put on a show, or they did, and it was a thing that you know. And Phil Schiller was there. I mean, it, you know, flew out from California to New York to be there to talk about this stuff. I mean, and John Turnus was there, and you know, people who are you know leaders of the company were there to talk about the Mac Pro again. The year before was, I think, when, or maybe it was two years ago, when the iMac Pro came out. That came out in December. So mm -hmm. they do stuff in December. And I think, especially now in 2020, there is no difference between a media briefing event and a full on keynote public event. Right. Right, that's what I was going to say yeah. because they're not—they're obviously not going to do those those types of behind closed doors media events just for safety reasons. So right. why not? So how do they do it? And it's just as easy—not again, not easy, but just as seamless, I guess—to yeah. do it for the whole public rather than would they just send a video to a handful of of people like yourself, right? Or, or would they actually just release it to the public? And I I think that the mechanics of holding an actual event, even when it's not, uh. 300 people at the Steve Jobs Theater, even when it's uh, 50 people in New York or maybe 25 at a time for an hour and then they leave and you know, you're know you walking out and you're like, oh, there's Joanna Stern and the next group coming in and hey, how you doing? And uh, you know, 25 people come in at 10 o'clock and then another group comes in at 11 o'clock. The, the, the mechanics of that 
are so complicated. Just the, you know, flying people out from Cupertino to New York and hosting this and preparing it that it makes more sense to put more into a single event. And, and for the ones that are the big keynotes where they are going to say, this is a keynote event on the Steve Jobs theater and we're going to live stream this to the world. It makes more sense to do a two hour keynote with two hours of stuff as opposed to doing it all twice and having two one hour mm-hmm. versions. Whereas with these purely remote televised shows that just stream, it's the opposite. I think it makes way more sense to do two one hour events than one two hour event. Right. And they, I mean, we've gone from a world for where everyone joked uh, that these types of events were marketing for Apple to like, they are actually a huge component of marketing for Apple now that they're, um, you know, they can put them on nicely. Anyone can watch them around the world. And so, you know, I think that that leads them to want to do maybe not more of them, but just do them uh, with, with less questions asked about it. Yeah, I think so. And so I, I, and I, I, so I think just in general, it would make more sense to I, I think the people who think they might cram every remaining announcement in the next Tuesday's event are thinking too much in terms of two hour events. And I know and this specifically people say, well, there's an I you know, an ICS file from Apple for the event where you can download it from the website to put it on your calendar. And it says mm-hmm. it's two hours. Uh the last one said it was two hours a month ago. And it was only an hour. And it was only yeah, an hour. Right. They just they just make it two hours because they're they're in some sense they're playing poker. You know, it's like right, when right. when you have five cards in your hand, but the only three that matter is the three kings, and the other two don't really matter. You don't say to your opponent, "I only <laughs> I only care about right. three of the cards in my hand." Uh-huh. You're giving information away. They're not going to set an event that says you know fifty five minutes. <laughs> They're just not going to, even if they knew it. I And I really doubt that the people who make the website have any idea how long the event is going to be. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, though it is interesting that Apple knows, presumably right now, exactly how long it's going to run, right? Because they already filmed it. Yeah, I would, Maybe they're still doing editing over the weekend, but still, yeah. like, they know roughly how long it's going to be. Yeah, I would guess right that now. it's it's in the can or very, very close. You know, like, or it could, like, they could stream it right now, but maybe they're doing some final touches or something like that. Right. Um, I just think strategically, uh, uh, details of what they're going to announce aside, I just think it works better for them. It works better in every single way to do a one-hour event, mostly about iPhone next week, and then do a a one-hour event after Thanksgiving, I guess. So Thanksgiving, I I looked, is late this year. The date is November 26th. Yeah. So if they do a Mac event, it would either have to be the week before first week that. Of December, yeah, or first week. Of but December. I think first yeah. week of December is way more. It would actually be Tuesday, December first. So it would literally be the first day of December. So the other thing they could do then is because they obviously they still haven't launched Big Sur, right? And right. It's, I don't think it's clear when it's coming. They said no, the fall. Not at all. Uh, did they say the fall or did they say? I don't even know what. I don't remember what uh, they said. They but, said fall. Okay. Um, but that would be another way to show because I'm just trying to think of like what – obviously, it's a huge announcement, their own silicon. But they already did a lot of time, spent a lot of time on it during WWDC. So like um, what else do they do? Do they just do demos of it? Um, do they show off you know certain third-party apps that were ported? I think that's pretty obvious. Um, do they do – but like do they have enough there to do an hour event, I guess? Or can it be a half an hour event yeah. or is it something else? 
I I think that they have successfully kept this very close to their vest. People don't seem to have any idea what Apple Silicon Macs are going to be like. I certainly don't, and it doesn't. Right, we don't even know which model it's going. Like the rumor right. is that it's a MacBook Pro, right? But uh, but there's been other rumors too in the past. Right, there's other been, rumors that, that it was going to be a 12 inch MacBook. Right. that it was going to be an iMac. Uh, yeah, yeah. The 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 12 inch iMac or not iMac um, MacBook, MacBook seems like yeah. the most obvious one because it was a product in their lineup. And some right. people really and love people still, it. I still love it. I still have it. I right. still use that thing a ton. It's it's relatively slow now because yeah. it's got old Intel chips, but it's a great form factor. Right. And the keyboard sucks, but it's a great form factor. Right. And so there's a lot of people who know that it was a good product that was held back only by the speed of the Intel chips that had the thermal characteristics that the form factor demanded. And we know right. Apple has chips already that could make you happy with it. If, if they just right. put the internals the of, of an iPad pro yeah. in that, we'd be like, that's fast. That that's way faster than the MacBook I they were selling. And so it just seems so obvious that they would do that and bring that form factor back that people think it, because it doesn't really take much imagination. It's taking a form factor. They already shipped and it, right. it, for the Mac and taking the chips they've already put in iPad pros and just, put them together, you know, <laughs> just put your yes. peanut butter tastes great with my chocolate. Um, and they might make that product, but I think that they have such bigger plans for Apple Silicon Max that, and, and I have to go back and rewatch it, but I remember, and I don't think people read it the right way. When when they did that segment at WWDC and they went to the the, the gimmick in the show, the underground underground thing. secret lab, yeah. and Johnny Saruji right. was talking, um, what Johnny Saruji said, and then I haven't rewatched it in a month, and uh, but but the way I remember it was that he said, "Look, we've had this custom chip team that we started making custom chips for iPhones and iPads, and then we had to make them for Apple Watch." And that was an entirely new thing. We had to make it so much smaller and so much more power efficient because it was so much, you know, and our team did it. And now we're going to do it for the Mac. And that means making it bigger, you know, not, not physically bigger, but just as like metaphorically bigger. And the way that he posited it to me was, was telling us that in the way that they made their chips smaller and tinier to fit them on your wrist, they're going to make chips for the Mac that are so much faster and more powerful for the Mac that the I'm expecting like Led Zeppelin four, you know, like the album that is like, holy crap, I thought Led Zeppelin was playing heavy before. This is amazing. Like I'm expecting I think that's right. It do, it did I got the same impression the way that they talked about it. It's um it was setting it up for a big reveal of you ain't you, sort of the you ain't seen nothing yet. Like yeah. you've seen a lot. You've seen what we can do, but this is within a certain thermal envelope that it's about to be unleashed. Right, right? and so I I really feel like it is easily an hour, to, and I feel like a big part of it is sort of filling in, like almost like what Saruji did at WWDC was a trailer. And now we get to see the movie where they're going to talk about their chips and they're going to talk about how they're pulling the pants off Intel and AMD uh, in terms of uh, what they're what they're capable of. Um, That's interesting. Do you think that they would do more than one than Mac uh, at the same know, time to show off? Yeah, maybe. 
Because I kind of feel like the most unexpected thing would be, again, I have no inside information about it, but what if they come out and say that, you know, it's the least expected Mac, it's the Mac Pro. It's the one that you can configure in a workstation up to $50,000 and we've got Apple Silicon running in it. And, you know, if you just buy like the $6,000 model, look at the numbers it does. Look at what we can do with a $6,000 computer. And oh, by the way, if you, you know, for $40,000, you know, it, it runs 10 circles around the equivalent Intel Xeon chips or something like that. I don't know. I just feel like that's what they were setting us up for. And the, the thing to remember is they even made a point of talking about how like, so the A series chips are the ones in the iPhones and iPads. Um, and I think people are thinking like, oh, it would be like the A14M, and that's the one they put in Max. But there's no, it doesn't make any sense that there'd be one chip that would work in both a 12 inch, $1,200 MacBook and a $25,000 workstation. Uh, I, I re, and I feel like he, Suruji almost spelled it out where, where they don't call it like the A8. W for watch. It's not like they took the A8 and shrunk it down. They called it the S1 because it was an entirely different thing. I don't know what letter they're going to use because they've already used M for the for the motion, but maybe X is my guess, like the Apple X1 chip, and that's the chip that's for uh, Max. I don't know. I don't know if one number would do. Maybe it's an altogether new marketing scheme, but I'm expecting an announcement that's so big that it can't possibly ex- coexist with the iPhone for or 12 on stage at one event without sort of bifurcating people's attention from one or the other. That's why I think it'll be a, a different event. So you don't think there's any chance that it's the, you know, the famous call out to the one more thing, you know, and, and lift up a veil and show off, you know, the new, it could the be. new computer. It it could be, you know, and maybe it's just the plainest thing possible where they do one more thing and they say, here is the uh, the new MacBook and it has the A14 and it's exactly like, <laughs> it's just the A14 and it's in a MacBook and it goes on sale December 1st and that's it. And it's like, oh, that wasn't that big a deal. And they don't talk about any other Mac hardware until next year. And next year is when we hear the bigger story. It could be. It could be like the most simple thing and five minutes does it and it just looks like, a MacBook that we know, and that's it. But I, I tend to, I would bet the other way. Um, and of course, they already, they've been shipping the developer kits for a while, but those are running on the actual iPad Pro chips. Is that right? Yeah, it's exactly the A12Z from the current iPad Pros. Right. So it's, it's presumably slower than the A14, right? That's in the, the new iPad Air, which is about to be in the new iPhone. It's right? slower in single processing and faster in multi-threaded processing. And the graphics are probably still faster in the A12Z. Okay. Because um, the, other, the other interesting element is, I think they stated on the record, right, that they're, they're launching the whole lineup by the end of next year. Is that right? I think that's what they said. And so, you know, 2021 should see a revamp of everything in Apple's Mac lineup. Right. And so that's the other thing where they could do just like a tease of the first product and then have some big event at the early part of next year for like everything that's coming. Uh, I'm just trying to think through if there's like some other way they could do it. Um, 
But yeah, they don't, obviously they don't want to take away from the star of the show. And we know that there's going to be, or we presume that there's going to be a few other things like right. we talked about, maybe air tags and maybe the HomePod mini or whatever. Or, uh, or air, yeah. AirPods that uh, go over your ears studio. Right. Right, that, right. Those, right. But those um, things all act as peripherals to your iPhone, right? If they, the iPhone, right, yeah, if right. you do air tag or if you do all of them, if they say, Hey, we have air tags and new AirPods that go over your ears with studio quality sound and a, a new home pod, they all work as part of the, you know, the same story as the new iPhones. Whereas right. the Mac is an entirely different story. Right. And they could do it as one more thing. It could just be, oh, and by the way, we told you about the Macs and here's the thing. But if they do that, that just means that the first Macs to come out are performance wise just in line with the iPads and iPhones that we know. Because the other thing, and again, not to read too much into the name, but if they're going to talk about speed, they can't come out and say, here's the new iPhones. They cost a thousand up to a thousand dollars and it's the A14 and here's how fast it is. And by the way, here's these Macs that are. 10 times faster because they're max. Right, right. They, you know, it would have to be max that are, you know, like the well, same speed. That's, that's an interesting point because then what it, it's sort of, again, obviously, like this is just where my mind is trailing, but it's like they could, you could see a world in which then they do the, the mythical 12 inch one, which is actually running a chip that is very similar to the iPad Pro. Right. Uh, chip because they want to keep the battery life and the sveltness of the device uh, is the key factor. And then the the super chips are coming next year, but we're going to have this first Mac, right. which runs. Yeah, it's like it's it's faster than the most recent Intel ones, but it's you know it, it's basically running the same iPad uh, uh, system on a chip. Um, and we're going to have some other Macs to talk about next year. You could see a world in which they. Yeah, do. I could definitely see that. It just depends on how impressive a family of chips they're ready to unveil this year. If it's an impressive family that's going to scale to things like desktops like iMac Pros or just just plain iMacs, then I think it gets its own event slash streaming whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Uh, the AirTags and stuff like that, I feel like those you know, if they're ready, they're ready and if they're not, they're not. But if they are, you know, of course they just slip right into the story with the iPhones on Tuesday. Right, and it seems like some of these things at least have been ready and just waiting for the right time, and you know this would presumably be the right time. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. So anyway, it's no use speculating too much more. I mean, we'll find out soon enough. Um, so uh, unless you have anything else to add, we can wrap up. But it's always good to talk to you. Hopefully, it won't be another eighteen months, and hopefully, hopefully, the world will be a much better place next time we talk. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Hopefully, uh, Regeneron is out for everyone, and uh, we can. I, I've made this joke to John like multiple times, but I just find it so amusing. The name of a company is is a super drug that that we all need to take. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I hope the world is in a better place uh, the next time we talk, and I hope the next time we talk is only a few months from yeah. now, and even the world is a better place. They then. should just pump it into the drinking water like fluoride, you know, like what fluoride was to the 1950s. <laughs> just put Regeneron into the tap water, and and then we can bathe in it. We can. Shower with it. It's it'll it'll be everywhere.